Well, that's weird. <laughs> okay. Weird. All right. Okay. Can people see if us people, now? Hey, guys, if y'all can see us, uh, press one, like, like put a one up in the chat. I'm trying to figure yeah, out. It. Are you getting any thumbs ups? Nope. Is there a saying they can't see it? I mean, like I asked if, if even it's now, because it says end stream. Um, that's so weird. Um, let me, uh, let me try calling. Do you have, do you have Brad's number? I, I, I don't have my phone with me though. So let me see, uh, uh, let me see if I, let me see if I can try calling Brad. Uh, keep, uh, keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, put myself yep. on mute. That, should Just I keep, keep going? If keep nobody going. could hear me. Keep going because um, I don't know this Rumble's weird. They they've been having issues issues with with Rumble lately. So let's just see what uh, what this is. Okay. So at the, at the worst case scenario, it's definitely recording something. So yeah. something will be recorded for posterity and future viewing. So we're gonna presume mm -hmm. that that's the case. So I will keep going, and I'm hoping that I'm not just gonna be like speaking into into the the void. Um, well, so, okay, so we have a lot of, of misinformation, uh, and as Gordon goes to try to resolve this weird, weird glitch, I'll just, I'll just do my thing. Um, so, and I'm hoping people can hear what I'm saying. Um, so we have a lot of, a lot of effort right now to try to distract people away from what Putin actually said as far as the reasons why this entire military intervention even began in the first place regarding the very serious and real and provable fact that there is an intention to build up a military encirclement of Russia and of China, and of the, that's called full-spectrum dominance. He laid it out back in the uh, Munich conference, security conference in 2007 that he referred to, um, saying like, hey, guys, look, back off. We're willing to work with you. Russia's even willing to be a part of NATO feasibly. We can co-control co this ballistic missile shield. Any, um, Hey, Gordon, any, any signs of positivity here? They're saying in the chat that they can see us now. So I think I think we are live. Uh, so, yeah, we're good. OK. All right. So I wasn't speaking into the void. All right. Yeah, so yeah. I was just sort of recap recapping very briefly and summarily that um, Putin really wanted to make it clearly understood that this whole special military operation is the effect of a very long standing series of waves within waves of intention to ultimately destroy Russia and doing it through very specific techniques of using ethno-national differences to inflame uh, passions and give people false images of what their identities are um, as far as people who have been abused by stories of the past. You know, I've been victim. My great grandpa was victimized by this Russian general or this Russian ruler uh, 200 years ago. And so all of that resentment, whether it's in the, the Polish-Lithuanian groupings or whether it's in the, the Bandera-Ukrainian groupings, which ultimately all see a common heritage in a common founding father of Russia, like we talked about last week. It doesn't matter. Just take all ethno-national groups. And this is the way the oligarchy works even in America, right? You find a little, whatever identity structure has some reason to feel something bad, whether it's a minority group that had slaves um, over a century ago, make that their full identity now. They make them live through their their uh, the abuse that their great-great-grandparents suffered now, as if there was no effort to have progress since the 1860s. Uh, do the same thing for women. Make their identity, make them relive psychologically all of the suffering of every woman who's ever been suppressed. And there has been systemic suppression of women as, as of other minority groups, no doubt. However, however, the trick is this magic sleight of hand, this illusionist, this illusionist trick is get, get people 
to then relive it. And we see it also in the Israelis with the, with the, the worst of the, the, the fascist Zionists who have been taught to live through the torture camps, the, the, the extermination camps of the Nazis, live through it. And then with a victim identity, well, all of a sudden you have a perfect fascist. Because now all of a sudden it's somebody who only lives by revenge, a desire for destroying their oppressor, even ignoring completely any type of progress that had been made along the way. So that's the same thing that was deployed to Russia. Putin, I think, clarified how this works very well. And he um, and we're seeing since then um, a fanatical amount of of um, power put into amplifying, again, the idea that Putin killed Navalny as he kills all of his his political opponents. That's that's being blitzkrieged in the in the media. Uh, I don't know how many how many people are actually buying this. But it was certainly useful at the Munich Security Conference to try to, to to get European leaders to bend to the pressure and support injecting more tens of billions of euros into the meat grinder that is Ukraine. Um, Navalny's wife had something to say about that, and her role in all of this is really weird. We're going to say something about this, too. Russia is apparently also putting nuclear weapons in space, according to our mainstream media, which there's the Russian foreign ministry came out saying, look, we have, there's no reason why we would do this. Nobody's showing any evidence, but they're repeating it like gossip. And uh, this is dangerous to use this kind of language because we're not doing this sort of thing. So there's obviously a lot of effort to to derail the, the, the potency of what Putin's speech had on the zeitgeist. And I was reading that over a billion people internationally have watched that Putin speech already. That That's significant uh, as far as the, the psychological battlefield is concerned. So I don't know where 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 do you think we should we should approach this thing from? There's there's so many different points we could press on. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great it's a great question. Um, I mean, let's just kind of start with Navalny. So, mm. the the Munich Security Conference is a great point. We talked about that on Badlands Daily on Monday. Um, mm. um, the context in the context of the Saudis, what the Saudis had accomplished there. Um, but so going back to <clears throat> Putin. And the Oliver Stone interview, which I reference ad nauseum on all the programs I'm on because I think it, it was a great interview. Uh, one of the great things that Oliver Stone was able to get Putin to do was to walk through the history of Ukraine from the fall of the Soviet Union until 2014, until the until until Russia, until the color revolution. Um, and basically, it, which I had never really I hadn't until I saw that I hadn't really familiarized myself like on a granular level. Mm -hmm as to how that developed but basically he described and, and with tucker he explained how historically going back you know over a thousand years he explained how the ukrainian people are really russian people and they're all mm -hmm. you know they're all kind of the same culture and the same people um to, to stone he explained how um through the natural course of democracy um pro-russian politicians were elected like over and over again in ukraine and that really upset the wet the west and finally, when um, what's his name won, uh, his name escapes me. Uh, I think I guess it was in 2014. Um, that was when the West said, All right, "Enough, enough. We're going to do the we're going to do the color revolution now." Uh, oh yeah, you're, you're talking about the uh, uh, Yanukovych, and that was 2010. Yanukovych uh, won. He 2010, through, uh, excuse me. 2010. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That's when they that's when they decided that in 2014 they're going to come do the color mm -hmm. revolution, um, which. Hearing Putin explain it the way he explained it, it all made perfect sense. It's like, here's the progression of what happened, where it's like we were just trying to implement like democracy and allow the, the Ukrainians to self-govern. And 
And um, that was like the breaking point was when uh, uh, they couldn't get a pro-West, anti-Russia, anti-Moscow politician elected. They said, you know what, we're just going to do a color revolution. And Igor Kilimoisky, uh, Azov Battalion, you know, you saw all that stuff pop up. Um, and, and then the Crimea, the Crimea stuff happened, started happening. Um, so like that was really fascinating to me, like learning about that um, months ago from the Oliver, from the Oliver Stone interview and then seeing it kind of re reemerge again. And it's a shame that he didn't get a chance to really walk through that with Tucker, because I think that would have been a really great thing for audi like Tucker's audience to hear, because that's much larger, I think, than Oliver Stone's audience. Um, but yeah, that was really enlightening. And then understanding that and then going and reading like Scott Ritter's Substack article, which I'll, I'll throw in the comments and in the chat, because I think that's a great, we're going to talk about that yeah. too. Yeah. But I mean, he really lays out Navalny's history, um, like through the 2000s, like for, starting in 1999 um, and, and going up and running through the 2000s and just parallel to what Putin explained about what was happening in Ukraine. It just makes perfect sense. It's like, yeah, okay. So Navalny was kind of the, the eight, one of many, I'm sure, agents on the ground who were uh, basically implementing the will of British intelligence and the CIA. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and he represents a whole species of character. Um, and it's, it's, it's like when people talk about Russian fifth colonists, it's not just one thing. It's, it's, a, it's an interconnected one thing, but it has different aspects to it. And I, I thought today what, what, we would, what I could contribute to my little aspect of it, I, I had a few little images and a couple of quotes by Putin before jumping into Navalny and what he is, uh, just to get across what is this battle, what is this structure of, of the deep state of Russia in a certain limited introductory way. Um, I got three quotes by Putin. Um, I'm going to read them and then look at it quickly what he's talking about, some examples, and then we'll look at uh, Navalny. You can share any, any insights you uh, you got from Scott Ritter's article or, or other, and, uh, and we'll just chat about that a little bit. So the first thing I've got here is a first quote from Putin. This is from a speech he did last year, right after the, the special military operation had begun. And he's recapitulating. Actually, this is from December. This is right before, right? This is right before the special military operation by a factor of a of a couple of months. And he knows at this point that things are going to shift gears. But he's trying to put out um, off ramps to the West. He's, he's This is the period where he's really trying hard to say, look, just sign something, anything that just guarantees Russia's security agreements, no more absorption of territories into NATO. Just say that, please put it on paper and nobody will put it on paper. So there's that period, you know, and he's recapitulating his fight and what he walked into in 1999 in uh, December 31st when he replaced Yeltsin. And he he walked in to an impossible situation. George Soros had run roughshod, had pretty much bragged that he poured $2 billion into recreating Russia, privatizing everything, pouring money into open societies that were part of the former Soviet territory that would then create little micro states like, you know, Kosovo or the uh, all these little subsections of, that we now know of today uh, on the periphery of the, the Russian map. So he says here in the early 2000s, I've cleaned them all out. In the mid 1990s, we had central intelligence agency employees as advisors and even official employees of the government of the Russian Federation. As we learned later, there were American specialists sitting at our nuclear weapons complex sites. They went to work there from morning to late night. They had a table and an American flag. 
They lived there and would wor and worked there. They did not need any fine instruments to interfere in our life because they had control over everything already. Crazy bad situation, right? Like 90% of the former state enterprises uh, were all privatized during the 1990s, overseen by the Rhodes Scholars like Strobe Talbot, who was the roommate of Clinton in a special uh, czar overseeing Russian privatization with Jeffrey Sachs, with Soros, with Bill Browder, the richest, most uh, powerful investor in Russia who oversaw the Magnitsky Act in uh, 2011. So, yeah, bad situation. And then Putin is brought in as a troubleshooter because uh, Yeltsin. So, so real quick, uh, that quote that quote is amazing to hear in, in 2024 because I feel like the American public has a renewed like a new appreciation for what he means when he says they already had control over everything. So it's like just yeah, because of what yeah. we've seen over the past four years, it's just so obvious um, that I think people really understand now. And, th and this was, you know, Internet 1.0 in 1999, right? So <laughs> it's uh, early 2000s, late 90s. That, that's kind of like Internet 1.0. So um, you don't really have the the um, the Internet is not robust enough to really create the, the counter movement against that quite yet. That we that that we're doing right now. So interesting good point. Quote. Good point. Good. <clears throat> interesting point. Yep. 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 So yeah, again, like he's he's brought in, you know, because you have a, a small faction, but a but a but a wise faction of nationalists in Russia who are aware of the the nature of the sick game. They they've got a sense that the traitors have completely taken over. The lunatics took over the asylum. And I hear I'm talking about people like Yevgeny Primakov, who's the prime minister at the time of Russia, who's the the grand master strategist who oversaw the creation of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, what became the G20, um, what essentially became the the Russia-India-China alliance that was made bigger with the BRICS. That was all Yevgeny Primakov. Um, this guy was a poet, scientist, statesman, very, very solid figure who oversaw uh, Putin and made sure that Putin would be positioned to take over from drunkard, you know, human mess that was Yeltsin. Um, who is just not capable <laughs> of being in that environment. Um, so Putin comes in and he does something interesting because he plays along. And all of the oligarchs think that he's their man. You know, you got Biden saying he's like Peter the Great of Russia. That's what Joe Biden is saying back in 1999. Um, he's like, our man in Russia, we got him. And all of the oligarchs are supporting him. And then all of a sudden, he's, he pulls the rug out from under their feet. Um, and he starts showing what he's actually all about. So he he goes on to say today, in the in a fault in the, in another speech, March fifteenth, right after the special military operation began three weeks earlier, he describes here the danger of how the West is freezing the assets of the Russian billionaires that were all created in the nineteen nineties, um, that are loyal to London and and Washington. And he's and and he's saying like, look, I understand. Basically, in the speech, he's saying I understand that there's a threat to freeze their assets as a way to induce them to kill me and overthrow to do like a palace coup. But he then describes the nature of these of these traitors in more detail because it obviously doesn't work. There were some efforts, but it doesn't work. And he says here, yes, of course, they, the West, will be on the so-called, uh, will, will bet on the so-called fifth column, our national traitors, those who earn money here with us but live there. And they live not even in the geographical sense of the word, but according to their thought, but according to their thoughts, according to their slavish consciousness. Many of these people, by their very nature, are mentally located there and not here, not with our people, not with Russia. That is, 
uh, this is, in their opinion, a sign of belonging to a higher caste, to a higher race. Such people are ready to sell their own mothers if only they were allowed to sit in the hallway of this very highest ca uh, caste. They do not understand at all that if they are needed by this so-called higher caste, then they are needed only as expendable material in order to use them to inflict maximum damage on our people. Perfect. That's Perfect. an amazing, that's an amazing quote. Like what a based quote. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, he's very clearly identifying that they do, they don't see you. And he's talking kind of to his own, to these fifth columnists as well as he's speaking, right? Because he also needs to, they have influence. There's still a bunch that he didn't jail. He allowed to continue to operate. But he still needs their influence, controlling vast, you know, chunks of industry um, to cooperate. But he's 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 trying to shake them out of their stupor, their illusions that and, that they were promised by getting across that look. No, they don't see you as equals. They see you as trash, like Slavic trash. Ultimately, they will use you and they will d destroy you if that is more useful than using you alive. So he's trying to get them across, get a very serious point across. And the last point, and we see a very big trail of dead oligarchical bodies um, to back up what he's saying. And these were not people killed by Putin. I don't think any of these, maybe some, but uh, but for the most part, the ones we hear about, I don't think that Putin actually had a hand in that. Um, and I'll say something more about that in a, in, a, in, a, in a very short bit. But the last quote I got is just so good. In that same speech, he ends it by saying the Russian people will be able to distinguish true patriots from scum and traitors and simply spit them out like a midge that's a little fly that accidentally flew into their mouths. I am convinced that such a natural and necessary self-purification of society will only strengthen our country, our solidarity, cohesion, and readiness to respond to any challenges. Amazing. So, that's what we want yeah. in America, too. Exactly. Exactly. This is like how we should expect of our of our leaders in America or in Canada. Like we should expect this. I'm not saying that we're, we're going to get this because we've, we've not expected this sort of thing for so long that of course, mm -hmm. of course we get trash as our, as our representatives. Uh, but just, uh, I thought it was useful just to hear a couple of these kick-ass Putin quotes. And um, have you seen just the way he actually addresses interfaces with these oligarchs that he's trying to domesticate? Have you ever seen any videos of him like kicking their ass? I've seen some videos. I mean, he—he's amazing, man. Like, it's just—I I just love the way the Russians conduct themselves. It's—it's—it's it's, it's direct path thinking, as Burning Bright would say. Yeah, it's—it's it's not lateral. It's not liberal dancing around an issue. And I got this little yeah, quote for yeah. those who might be watching. No, no passive aggressiveness. That, that's such a Western Western convention, right? No, it's just straight aggression. Like, look at this. Look at this. Look at this appropriate aggression. This is him sh having a showdown. Um, I think it's in 2011. With a bunch of oligarchs, these are billionaires. With Oleg Deripaska, the most rich, one of the richest men in the world, who's at this brought to this table, where they're trying to, um, there's they're striking Russian workers at a steel plant, um, and they're trying to basically lower their wages even more. And Putin's like, "Look, you're you're destroying the national interest by what you're doing right now to these oligarchs who like run this massive production complex." And he's like, "You you have to open up. You have to give the people what they want." You have to like raise their wages. You have to open up, open up your doors, start the production again. And this is again, like 2010, 2011. He's prime minister at this point. So just people have to just see this to make it visceral. So I'll, I'm going to play it. Vladimir Putin strode into town. 
Почему раньше здесь не было людей, которые способны были принимать решения? Почему здесь-то забегали все как тараканы перед самым моим приездом? Unlike Medvedev, Putin confronted the factory owners. Считаю, что вы сделали заложниками своих амбиций, непрофессионализма, а может быть просто и тривиальной жадности. Тысячи людей. Это абсолютно недопустимо. Если собственники договориться между собой не, не смогут, то единый комплекс, единый комплекс все равно будет восстановлен. В том или в другом виде, то это будет сделано без вас. He demanded the owners, including billionaire Oleg Deripaska, sign an undertaking to restart the factories. It's coming, it's coming. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, give me back my pen. God, that was awesome. I mean, <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen that before, but uh, now, for those who've never seen that as well, now you understand why the elites hate Putin, because that's how he speaks to them. By the way, that's also how Trump speaks to elites in America. You know, I mean, he, he's a little, he, he has a little bit more of like a New York style about it than Putin does. Um, like he's a little more boisterous and abrasive um about it but yeah th this is what we want we want leaders like this who are willing to speak to oligarchs and elites in that manner when they're acting this way y yes you ran you ran around like cockroaches when i said i was coming like like what a that's a quote for all, like an all-time quote mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly it's it's so it's so um because it's not like he's anti-business you know like he's not he's not even pro because people are often saying, oh, look, he's bringing back the Soviet Union. That's what he wants. He wants to bring back the Soviet Union. He's a, an expansionist, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, he actually has given speeches saying what a disaster Trotsky and Lenin was. Now, he said as well that the that the destruction of the Soviet Union, Union was a great tragedy. But he said you would have to be a fool to want to rebuild it. It was a tragedy because there was a total loss of lives. Like Russia lost something like 13 percent of their population when the Soviet Union was dismantled, was destroyed the way it was and everything was privatized. So it was, yeah, that's tragic, but you would never want to revive it. If anything, he's looking at going back deeper into the deeper historical currents of what Russia's true heritage is, as we heard with this Putin, uh, the, the Tucker interview, that there's something that was derailed over a century ago when Abraham Lincoln and Tsar Alexander II had this bond of alliance when Alexander II deployed the Russian Navy naval fleet to the coasts of America during the Civil War as a message for, for the British Empire, for the French Empire to stand down, not go in full hog backing up the slave power. And that was a message that, that saved America, it saved the Union. And that was entirely due to this Russian-US relationship, this special relationship, and the fact that Russia had an industrial production powerhouse in the 1870s, 1880s, the fact that Alaska was even sold by Russia in 1867 to, to America. It had everything to do with this common brotherhood 
and this and this this intention to replace British globalization, which was free trade at the time, British free trade, with a system of national protectionisms. Um, that's what Russia was applying. That's what the rail development of Russia was about, overseen by American engineers with Baldwin locomotives from Philadelphia running on the Trans-Siberian. That's what was happening in the 1880s, 1890s. So it was this, that's what was derailed. And that's what Putin, that 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 deeper Russia is what he's trying to revive here as a spirit of, of real industrial development and cooperation with your neighbors. And he's been trying to talk to some sense into the U.S. for a long time. And, uh, and so Putin is like not, he's not against business. He's just against traders who are used by foreign interests under the cover of business to destroy your nation. That's what he's against. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to point out that uh, that naval alliance wasn't new in, in the Civil War. Um, at the end of the American Revolution, the, the guy who's considered the father of the U.S. Navy, um, John Paul Jones, was given a commission by Catherine the Great, the yeah. sovereign of Russia, to come be a, a rear admiral in the Russian Navy. And he fought in the Black Sea, which is what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the founding of all those cities, Odessa, all of those cities along the Black Sea coast was done by Catherine the Great. And then John Paul Jones, um, the uh, I have not yet begun to fight guy, who took a ship, one ship over to Britain to raid the British coast by himself and took on the entire British Navy by himself. Just an absolute animal, badass. He, he, went, he, was, he was probably the only person who, who was qualified to go serve in the Russian Navy because of how much yeah. of a badass he was. But yeah, that, yeah. that's how he, he, that's so how he much, finished out his career. Yeah. So he had so much street cred. Yeah. That the Russians were just like, we, please come, come, come help us build up a Navy. <laughs> he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And yeah, of course, John Paul Jones. Yeah. He's one of the most underrated, amazing, badass characters in history. And absolutely, I'm so happy you brought him up. And, and the fact that he did that, he, he went, he basically did that. He helped, not helped, he spearheaded the construction of the, the Russian Navy, but it was directly after also as a bit of a thank you to Catherine the Great and the Russians for coming in and overseeing the League of Armed Neutrality that ensured that all of the necessary supplies, the weapons, the other, everything else would be able to go to the American re uh, rebellion to fight the British Empire. That was overseen by Russia. That was through the back channels that Benjamin Franklin had set up through um, Golikova, the, 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 the president, the woman, a, a, a woman ally of Catherine the Great, Tsarina, uh, was Ekaterina G G Dashkova, who was the president and reformer of the Russian Academy of Sciences, who met Ben Franklin, became his friend. She became the, the, the first Russian member of Benjamin Franklin's uh, Philosophical Society. And in favor, in, in exchange, Ben Franklin became the first American member of the Russian Academy of Sciences. And through that back channel, which also used a couple of interesting uh, Masonic lodges, too, that were in opposition to the oligarchist lodges, later on purged um, by the Jesuits. But that's where all of a sudden they were able to negotiate the League of Armed Neutrality that without that, America's revolution would not have succeeded. So you have this amazing reciprocation uh, back and forth. You know, even the George Washington Whistler in the 1840s was called in to go to Russia to oversee the building of the St. Petersburg Russian uh, Moscow rail line. The first rail line in Russia was overseen by an American engineer with a whole team of American engineers at the request of the Russian czar. And uh, that, again, this was like, this beautiful reciprocity back and forth, in despite the fact that you have the old school, old bloodline feudalists of Russia operating through their different um, proto-theosophist Masonic lodges, Rosicrucian lodges that also have their own nasty cosmology 
very enmeshed with the old old bloodlines of of sort of Western Europe. Same. So you have this evil thing and this legitimate, authentic, beautiful thing coexisting and battling it out within Russian history. We got the same thing within American history, within every country, right? So when Putin talks about you know these fifth colonists, he uh, he has a pretty good sense of this multi-layered aspect, like understanding of what this is, and our current idea of Russia as the enemy is brand new. This is the anomaly, like that was given to us after during the Cold War. This is a relatively recent sliver of time that America and Russia were seen as natural enemies. That's that's not the case for most of history. It's the very opposite. So I think Putin's really been trying it, and we see this with the way Trump and Putin had a, um, whether a spoken agreement in back channel or an unspoken agreement, I'm not going to say, but because I don't know, but there is definitely a synergy um, regarding restoring the proper historic foundations of that relationship. Um, before we go on, do you think we should read a couple of, of ads? Let's do that. Okay. You want to do the first two? I'll do the second two or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, first one looks like it is a, the second one is a produced video, but the first one is a video with copy. So I will read the copy. Okay, All, go right, ahead cool. and click. All right. Done. All right. Uh, you've seen the signs, felt the tremors in the financial uh, landscape. And you know what? It's looking like a lot like 2008 all over again, a time when countless Americans watched their retirement savings vanish into thin air. There's a solution that's as tough as we are. Precious metals, the guardians against inflation and dollar devaluation. Um, the path to uh, safety is simpler than you might think. Gold Co. offers the white glove treatment guiding you step by step. You won't need hours, just a few minutes to start to start securing your future. This isn't a painful process. It's a shield of protection for your wealth. Gold Co. has earned their reputation through honesty, professionalism, and thousands of five-star reviews. Their track record speaks for itself. Open an account with Gold Co. and you could get up to $10,000 in free silver. Now that's an offer you don't want to miss. It's time to diversify and protect your savings like the warriors that you are. Visit BadlandsGold.com today. That's BadlandsGold.com. Cool. Next up is my pillow. To celebrate the new year, we're having the biggest sale ever on overstock clearance and brand new products. For example, save 60% on our Goose Down comforters, the best comforters ever. They go perfectly with our MyPillow bed sheets and duvet covers. Save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels. They're made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Our initial quantities are extremely low, so get them now before they go. Our seasonal flannel sheets are finally in. You save up to 50% and they sell out fast every year, so order now. They're truly the best flannel sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. All right. Cool. All right. Um, oh, one quick thing I want to say before we, we start back up. Um, somebody last week uh, gave a, a generous uh, $20 rant. Um, and we did not read it. I caught it uh, right after we ended the show and um, didn't this the rant didn't save. Um, I'm really apologizing for that. I'm, I talked to Brad I'm trying to get the, the rant from Rumble or at least the person's name so I can give him credit. Um, but I really, really apologize for that. That's my fault. Um, so we will try to do better on that. Uh, but we, we will get to the boosts here at the end of the show. Um, if you go to uh, Badlands 
media.tv uh, and the support up in the upper right. The Badlands boost is a good place to go because the, the rants stick like that as opposed to uh, mm. in the show. But I um, just wanted to point that out. Um, so sorry about that, whoever that was. Um, yeah. I apologize. Cool. All right. Your conscience is now clear. You are. I've been thinking about that all week. So just wanted to get that out. Do, do a few Hail Putins and uh, you're, you're you forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So. <clears throat> there's a there's so the way I'm seeing the structure of the of any deep state, but but we're talking about Russia is that we have one is the deeper bloodlines. So on the one hand, you have like the old what you might call the feudalist families, the ones who really despised the the sorts of things that Tsar Alexander the Great did in 1860 by liberating the serfs and trying to modernize. So the feudalists, right? They they don't like that sort of thing, and they were always the ones working behind the scenes, killing, murdering Tsar Alexander II, poisoning his son, Alexander III, um, overseeing the rise of uh, the mystics, the the, the anarcho-mystics of Prince Kropotkin, um, an, a nominal heir to the Rurik dynasty and, and who believed himself to be the uh, the, the, the man who, was, who had the right to run Russia, basically, even though he was known as like this, you know, anarcho- um syndicalist type of character who believed in self-organizing systems blah 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 but this guy was like a russian oligarch of the highest degree managing these freemasonic lodges working with people like madame blavatsky interfacing with her working with people like like mikhail bakunin who was like also overseeing this whole like the thing that became the 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 later revolutionary fervor that overthrew the romanovs that's where it came from you gotta we, people need to go to how these high-level intelligence agencies, the Okhrana, the Russian secret police, um, interfaced with the French occult underground networks that also were part of the, the higher echelon families that were also interfacing with Britain because that was the hub, right? Like Britain was was sponsoring all of the international anarchists from Emma Goldman who was killing or, or running the cell that killed McKinley in America. Um, and so there's like a list of hundreds of statesmen around the world who were assassinated by anarchist terrorists back in the 1860s, 70s, 80s, 90s, all the way until the, the 1930s. Like that was the Al Qaeda of the day it was anarchist terrorists. <laughs> and it was always you'll find just like in the case of Al Qaeda today and these different international terrorist organizations, their headquarters were always found in the safe haven of London. London hosted the 1871 Anarchist Conference International. They hosted all of this stuff. Um, you'll find within this network, people like Mazzini, Palmerston overseeing these, these groupings called at that time, Young Europe, you know, the Mazzini Young Europe movement, which was essentially create ethno-national identities of every single identity group you want to use and rally young, disenchanted, disenfranchised, abused people and weaponize the mob to overthrow governments you don't like and try to reestablish some sense of some empire, right, with, with a much bigger territory that it currently enjoys, that will then naturally cause very predictable uh, conflict with its neighbors, right? This is what the this is exactly what the Young Turks were. This is what, all of this stuff. It's that's, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say the yeah. Young Turks. It makes me think of the Young Turks, and I haven't dug on this yet, but I've always wondered if the Young Turks were connect, connected to London. But that makes me think they 100. percent Yes, were. the Young Turks were overseen at, by a Freemasonic operation in um, Cyprus and Greece run by Alexander Helfen Parvis, who was an associate of Jabotinsky and Trotsky in Ukraine, 
who was a major gunrunner and financier who worked through a Masonic Lodge. And the the main grand master of that lodge was Mazzini's grandson. Giuseppe Mazzini's own grandson was the direct man, wow. grand master. And they just retweaked the young Ottoman Empire, uh, the young Ottoman movement, which was in the 1850s. And they just retweaked it to make the young, young Turks that then sucked Russia into this Balkan war that weakened Russia at the time that the... Uh, the, what became the Bolshevik movement was being inflamed at the time. It was more the Mensheviks. Um, but that, that the whole thing was run by oligarchs. It wasn't a mass movement. It wasn't a people's movement at all, ever. These were always like, you know, controlled. And so all that to say, this, this was made possible by these high level Russian bloodline, Russian families, some of which are still there. A lot of them were purged a lot. Of them, and that's part of the reason why there's been so much effort to, uh, to make us hate and fear um, what Stalin did by kicking out Trotsky. And like, there's been so much work to work people up. And I'm not saying everything like that, that Stalin was necessarily a good guy. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that he took down the scaffolding of these old families to such a powerful extent, as well as the newer oligarchs that were built up um, in the 1920s under the new economy policy under Trotsky. He took it all, like he removed so much of that. And that's why these creatures ended up going to the west they went into into canada into the united states they started working with the round table they worked they went to britain and they're the ones who wrote our history books about how evil stalin was everything that we've been like given about like how evil stalin was was done by these people who were trying to bring about global feudalism the trotskyists who became the neocons all of the neocons were created by trotskyists uh, like, and I'm here. I'm even talking about uh, the, the, the 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 Wolfsetter, Albert Wolfsetter, who ran Rand Corporation, set up and ran Rand Corporation. Uh, James Burnham, who like was the founder of the the neoconservative movement, was Trotsky's former assistant. Um, this is the guy who created the, the CIA's Congress for Cultural Freedom. All of them, uh, uh, Irving Kristol, as well, was a Trotskyist. All of these guys, Schachtman. So the, the Trotskyists, the Jabotinskyites, and, the, and the, the, the Parvis groupings, right, they all had a different deployment. One was to go and cr create a fascist structure in Israel. That was Jabotinsky's assignment. All of them were part of the 1905 effort to, to, to destabilize and destroy, you know, Russia in, in, at that period that was put down. And then they, like, a, like, a, like a hydra, they all like went to different parts of the world. The Trotskyites were, were unsuccessful at creating, because what Putin was talking about there in that first thing uh, his first quote in the 90s that process of privatization of the russian economy under mm -hmm. under um western financial interests that wasn't the first time that was done the first time that was done was in 1921 under the new economy policy which was mass liberalization privatization people like armin hammer who was lenin's banker swept in bought up most of russia's industry in the 1920s that's what it was that's the new economy policy that's why George Soros today called his institute the New Economy uh, Institute. The, that, that's the name of what George Soros mm -hmm. created. It's, and that's why they called it Armin Operation Hammer. When George Bush Sr. opened up the, the gates to 1991, right, Operation Hammer in Russia, which, which gave birth to perestroika privatization, it, Operation Hammer wasn't based on the idea of a hammer, although maybe kind of hammering Russia. It was based on an homage to Armin Hammer. That's the uh -huh. name of the thing, because Armin Hammer was the one who oversaw the mass privatizations and the creation of these Western-controlled oligarchs in Russia who would manage everything into a dark age. And that's where 
that's why Trotsky was pro-fascist. He was like writing letters to the Japanese and the the, the German and the British Union of Fascist pro-Nazis of the 1920s and 30s. And that's what was the fifth column of Russia that that was trying to kill Stalin. And so whenever we're told, oh, yeah, Stalin was against, he was just using, um, you know, he was trying to destroy his political opponents using fake trials. It's like, no, actually, you look at the evidence that's all been declassified in the last few years. Um, no, there's a lot of evidence. They were they did kill a lot. Like, like his key allies were killed. He somehow survived. And that's why he got along with Roosevelt, because Roosevelt was also in the 1930s surviving some crazy assassination attempts by Giuseppe Zangara, the anarchist Freemason who tried to kill him and ended up like getting his hand slapped by a woman in the audience. And it, it was the, the mayor of Cermak Sher, uh, of Chicago who got killed standing next to Roosevelt. Um, Roosevelt the survived the business. The, bus hmm? the business plot of 1933, right? I mean, they're, trying to, over they're trying to overthrow the government with uh, the military. Um, yep. smelly, but smelly Butler uh, stopped them. Yeah, I mean that is a that's a fact. I didn't know about the um, in 1921. I did not know that specific history. That's really fascinating, and I think now again in 2024 that a new audience is receiving that information and probably digesting it in a very different way because you know we've been trained to think about the communists and the fascists as diametrically op opposed, and the idea of communists using um, economics in that way and like the consolidation and, and, and monopolists becoming monopolists, but that's exactly really what communism is. It's forming monopolies, um, which is also what, in a way what fascism is. Um, and we can see that now happening in the United States. We can see the, the consolidation of power, the consolidation of industry, the consolidation of, of organizations and companies under holding companies, under parent corporations, which again were created by Sullivan and Cromwell, um, the law firm that would go on to become the CIA. Uh, it's, it, it, I think it just, it strikes a different chord now in 2024 than it would have been say 2014, where people can really see that and understand it and say, you know, that actually makes sense. Cause I'm seeing it right now in my real life. I'm seeing how social media platforms can censor me. I'm seeing how new corporate, corporate media can censor the truth. Um, how big pharma can use it, use, use its money to leverage and force people to take their products. Um, so I think people have a new appreciation for that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so important to you that, yeah, you just get across that, that, that what you just said is so important that, that people recognize that these holding companies, the private sector banking, uh, that can become a parallel state, a centralized parallel state as well, even though it's not like legally a nation state, it has all of the power, if not more so because it is so private, it is not regulated. And because it's not regulated, it's do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Whoever can like express their will to power to it becomes like the law. That's the rules-based order. So the, the difference between the rules-based international order that we hear the West talking about so much is pretty much that versus like that something that, it, yeah. yeah. So when Putin, you know, people are, are a bit confused. They're like, oh, but the UN is, isn't that the basis of world government? So why is Putin supporting the UN charter? And it's like, well, not really. I mean, it, it's it's definitely infiltrated in, and is used very badly. But if you look at the charter, just like the UN, uh, the U.S. Constitution, it actually enshrines if you abide by those predicates, the sovereignty of the nation state as sacred, the non-military intervention from one country into another, except for defense. You can use military for defense, but not for invasion. That is illegal in the U.N. Charter. So if people abide by it, you can't have empire. It's based on the on nation states being primary to um, the private parasitical 
sector. You can have private interest, but you can't let them run the nation. That's different. So like, I think that the, the better, like Roosevelt and, and here's a, an important lesson that people need to, cause it internalized a little bit, I think, uh, who, you know, is that we often have been trained to label things in an overly simplistic way to reduce the nuance of reality to something which prevents us from sort of appreciating his, the battles of history. One thing is that capitalism is always good and communism is all or, or communism is always good or bad. So if you're if you're somebody born on one side of the Iron Curtain, you're like capitalism is always bad. If you're somebody born in the in the on the on the other side of the Iron Curtain, you're like communism is always bad. And it's like, well, both can be bad or could do good feasibly. Like if you're a British empire, you will use capitalism to advance global enslavement and feudalism under the veneer of business and like legalized drugs, which was the opium war and everything else. And you'll you'll do holding companies and private banking to, to enslave nations. Inversely, um, if you are um, somebody who thinks of themselves as a, as a communist, you could be either a feudalist communist, like the Fabian Society, you know, or, or the Klaus Fabians, which is like, let's use the state to centralize everything and then control depopulation under a new managerial class. That's like the Fabian society, like socialism. But inversely, you could like, there's a lot of people who have been communists, called themselves communists, and they got killed by the CIA because they they were actually anti-Malthusian. They, they were anti-empire, but they didn't know of anything but communism to work with. And if you read like Marx's writings, there's really bad stuff in there about like um, private property shouldn't have a place and like religion is like, bad or something that's terrible <laughs> but if you just if you like pick and choose there's also like a good there there's a good um critique of empire and how empire uses the cover of of uh capital capitalism to justify its expansion there's some good stuff in there about about that 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 as a, as a mechanical objective argument it's fine there's the there's ideas in there about how to increase productivity by increasing the powers of productive labor, by increasing uh, access to education. Those are things there too. So good, I think I've noticed normal human beings are practical people. Like we try to problem solve using the best of what we got. And just because like it says in the Bible, you know, like women should stay quiet in church. They shouldn't have a place or in the Old Testament, it's even like kind of sanctioned to kill somebody for sleeping, sleeping around, you know. But today we're like, I don't, that's not reasonable. I'm, I'm going to leave that one aside and I'm going to do the reasonable stuff that, uh, that I, that I think actually is moral and good and useful, but I'm not going to take everything. So it's the same thing for a lot of these. Um, that, that's these, a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. And, and to that point, I can say that, you know, Moses Hess, we talked about him before the, the uh, he was Marx's, uh, Karl Marx's mentor. He published seven books about communism and socialism before Marx did. Mm -hmm. um, he was actually very religious. He was very pious. He was Jewish. He actually, in his writings, he actually uh, uh, purports that the foundations of communism go back to ancient Jewish uh, uh, communities and the idea of like collectivism goes back. That's where all of his ideas came from. But he was all about religion. So and he was talking about communism and writing about it before Marx was. So to your credit uh, or, or, or to your point, like to, to support what you just said. Yeah. Communism isn't always about anti-religion. Marx made it anti-religion because he was an atheist. Um, yeah, it's so, a little bit. Yeah, he imposed a lot. He grafted things onto the idea, but and and mm -hmm. so the question is, I was like, yeah, how do you how do you find that balance? And I think that's that's sort of the 
the pivot of history is, is the struggle to find the balance between the sacredness of the individual and the, the greater good at the same, like the collective welfare at the same time, the general welfare of the constitution. Mm -hmm. Right. And, that, and it's, we've not, we haven't figured it out yet, but I think the, the greatest leaders have had a good insight into how this synergy works because that requires the, the psychological cultural excellence of a people to be able to grow to maturity psychologically and spiritually to the point that we recognize that we're not an island, that our, our true pleasures and happiness is doing our duty as well. You know, like ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Like that idea should be something we take joy in, um, the higher pleasures of the spirit, not the pleasures of the flesh. To the degree that we're stuck in an identity that's, that's shackled to the pleasures of just momentary sensual gratification or comfort, we're not sovereign, we're not mature, we're always going to be in an infantile state and thus more inclined to be influenced by our, our subconscious forces because we don't know ourselves. So these subconscious elements are going to be having more of an influence in shaping our convictions, which is where Lord Bertrand Russell, the Tavistockian psychiatrist, grand strategist even said, in the great society, the future that he envisions, most people will have convictions and will have no ability to know where their convictions come from because they were put there by... The scientific dictatorship and the experts um, associated with that, the technocrats, um, who are the ones controlling the shadows on the cave wall of reality, where people believe in the shadows being reality and not reality being reality, which is through what you know, <laughs> what their only their mind's eye could see through matured moral reason. So, all that to say, um, do we want to maybe break off into a couple more? Uh, yeah, uh, commercials. Let, let's go ahead and do the ads, and then when we come back, we'll get back to Navalny. And uh, bring this all full circle. Do uh, also do we have a hard stop, or can we go on a little bit longer? No, no, no. I, um, I'm good. So we can go as long okay. as as long as uh, we need to. Okay. I think so. Let me let, let's do the commercials, and then uh, I'll show a few more slides. Then we'll wrap it up with uh, Navalny after uh, continuing to explore the structure of the deep state of Russia a little bit more. So the first, the next commercial we have is, geez, what is it? What is it? It's Van Man Company. Okay, let me just uh, do this. All right, Van Man Company. So have you had enough big pharma and big toxic ingredients? Ditch the harsh chemicals and embrace na nature with us. For too long, we have been hypnotized by big companies into using their chemical slop products. Their clever marketing campaigns and heavy lobbying allow them to use words like natural to describe products that are anything but. Meet the Van Man Company, where we're all about natural organic remedies. Hop into the van and try out our famous tallow and honey balm as a daily face and full body moisturizer. Use our miracle tooth powder made from ground eggshells and ground cattle bone, ground cattle bone to remineralize and naturally whiten your teeth. And try our new coconut magnesium deodorant to you smelling fresh all day. We got you covered and we do it with products sourced naturally from American farms and made in San Diego, California. Visit badlandsmedia.tv backslash Vandaman today and get free shipping on all orders over $40. Okay. And the next you one want is, me to do, you want me to do this one since I mean you, you've been doing a lot of talking so just to give your oh, voice a rest. Okay. That's very kind of you. Thank you, Gordon. Okay. Yeah. You're Go ahead and play. <clears throat> okay. All right. Uh, tired of the endless cycle of buying and tossing those paper tree air fresheners? Enter Aerotags, where their dream of, was to craft a solution to this very problem. Aerotags are the first ever laser engraved resentable car air fresheners made right here in the USA. Born in the makerspace of the Cleveland Public Library. Aerotags are not just a business, it's a revolution, a testament to the American dream. 
They are not just about refreshing your space, but about doing it better with a commitment to longevity, aesthetics, and sustainability. Air tags are designed to last longer, look great, and reduce waste, replacing those fleeting scents with something you can count on. Don't forget to grab your Badlands Media Air Tag now available. Visit badlandsmedia.tv slash aerotags, that's A-R-O-T-A-G-S, and use promo code BADLANDS for 10% off your order. That's badlandsmedia.tv slash aerotags, promo code BADLANDS. Great. Thank and everyone, you. and everyone, please uh, hit that thumbs up. I say we got uh, a little over two thousand people watching, which is great. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, if you don't mind, if you're enjoying the show, please hit the thumbs up, and I will pass it back to you, Matt. Cool. All right. So let's just quickly look at the other categories of of oligarchs, of fifth columnists in Russia that Putin's had to deal with. Um, so I have a little image here of just some samples, some samples. Of people like, uh, uh, well, bottom left-hand side is Yegor Gaidar. We got bottom right, Anatoly uh, Chubai. We got uh, uh, Boris Berezovsky and uh, Khodorkovsky uh, on the upper left-hand side. So Berezovsky, upper right, Khodorkovsky, upper left. These are billionaires, um, two of which at the bottom are technocrat billionaires and the other two at the top are just pure billionaire billionaires uh who have a huge or had a huge amount of influence all of them came to prominence under the 1990s under operation hammer arm and hammer and um and basically the way this worked that putin has been taught in, in a variety of speeches that we don't get access to in the west so much is that it was the voucher system is one of the techniques so the voucher system was to try to train russians to become capitalists they were all told hey we're going to give you vouchers all russian citizens under George Bush and then and then Bill Clinton and, and Strobe Talbot were all given vouchers that they were allowed to then invest in, co in companies that were going to be privatized. So everyone could then be, have like a vested interest and learn how to become an investor, how to become a capitalist. Now, the thing is, you're dealing with people who for generations were never capitalists, right? So they don't know, they're, but they, they know that their economy has gone to shit. Supply chains have broken down. They're starving. They're starving in the streets of Russia. So they're taking these vouchers that they were given to them by the U.S. State Department and they're like, what am I going to do with these? I can't eat these. I don't know what, a, what an investment into a private company is. And so um, those in the know who are known as the Soros Young Reformers, um, Gaidar on the bottom left, who looks like such a villain, eh? um, <laughs> and, and his buddy Anatoly Chubai, um, who becomes deputy prime or becomes prime minister. And, and he plays a, a lot of roles, both of them do, um, in politics. They basically say, okay, well... We're going to encourage you, all of the citizens of Russia, to sell your vouchers to people like uh, Berezovsky and uh, Abramov, Roman Abramovich and all of these like select um, oligarchs who were basically told, OK, you can now buy. You can you can offer for pennies on the on the ruble um, to buy up people's uh, vouchers so that they can now have a little bit of money so that they can buy some milk. Now, you're going to use these vouchers that are worth way more than you paid for. To then buy the companies that were formerly state state owned, energy, media, everything, you know, aerospace, steel, everything that was state run, you're gonna you now buy it and you're gonna become the new oligarchs. And you're gonna be loyal to the IMF, you're gonna be loyal to London, you're gonna be loyal to the Washington oligarchs that made you, and that's how it's gonna work. And that's how that and you're gonna bring in the CIA with your influence, you're gonna bring in all this stuff, and Gorbachev, Yeltsin will help you out. Exactly what happened. So um these are the people who, when Putin came in, he basically said, okay, you've got a choice. You can go to jail, <laughs> or 
Or you can behave by the new rules that are coming in and you can keep your money, but now you're going to behave according to the national interest. Um, but really, you don't have many more choices than that. So some of them went to jail. Um, Khodorkovsky went to jail. This guy on the upper left, his assets were taken over by the by the Russian state. Um, Roscosmos, uh, Rosneft, uh, uh, there's a whole, I mean, there's a big list. Um, he went to jail, though. Um, he still kept a lot of money when he got out of jail, but big sign of like new game in town. This guy, uh, Berezovsky, he ended up like leaving. He saved his ass by going to London. London gave him sanctuary and they gave a lot of oligarch sanctuary and that became known as London on the Thames. So today in London, there's the, all of these rush, this Russian section of mansions owned by Russian billionaires who left Russia to avoid going to prison. And now they're based in London. So it's called Moscow. So it's Moscow on the Thames is the name for this district in London. Many of those oligarchs who tend to sh wake up dead don't wake up dead usually in Russia. They usually wake up dead in Britain, in London, near or around Moscow on the Thames. Um, this guy, Gaidar, who also oversaw the mass liberalization and decentralization of Russia, because that was the whole idea of, of, is to encourage a massive decentralization movement of uh, Russia of the city. So local controls everywhere so that that way there'd be no state to fight back against the oligarchy. And that was like this whole like program of George Soros. That's what the whole ethno-nationalist thing was like encourage local nationalism. Don't encourage any type of thing that would involve utilizing the state to fight the oligarchy or protect the people. So Gaidar, he, he was the one who brought in uh, Davos, uh, the World Economic Forum into, into Russia first in 1999 with Davos of Russia. And then the Gaidar form was set up a week before Davos in 2009 by Chubai. Now this guy, Gaidar ends up dying um, 2009, right before the Gaidar form is set up. Chubai remains in power and he oversees um, a series of organizations that um, involve pouring tons of cash into solar panels, Green New Deal policies for Russia, as well as pharmaceutical um, programs. So he's really in charge of heading Rosnano, which is, and he's also an advisor for JP Morgan Chase. Um, he's a leading, so he pours in uh, cash into the pharmaceutical and, and vaccination production facilities that are foreign directed during, and that we see what type of damage they do during the whole COVID operation. Um, people, and he enriches this whole grouping. I'm going to say something about the next level. So these are the more the billionaires and some of them overlap with the technocrats. And then we have people like the deputy prime minister, uh, Tatiana Golikova. She's deputy prime minister. She was the COVID czar. She was also known as the, uh, the mother of corruption because she was first finance minister in the 1990s. Her husband is this guy below her who was, who was, um, uh, Viktor Krishtenko and he's, um, the current chair of the uh, Eurasian uh, Integration Fund. Or no, he was. He was fired, actually. He was fired. He was the chair. He was deputy prime minister. He was minister of industry for a long time. Both of them were um, major investors in the biggest pharmaceutical company that produced the Sputnik V vaccine. That was massively, they were massively enriched by their work with uh, Anatoly Chubai. And, they're the, and it was under her lead as um, COVID czar that the... Um, the local controls mandate promoted by the World Health Organization was put into effect. So nation states could not be nation states during COVID. All of the, the authority was, was, was taken down to local governors because the logic was, just like we saw it in the United States, 
we saw it everywhere that the local people on the ground know more about the the pandemic than people separated by great distances in the capital of whatever nation. So they gave local governors more authorization to apply the World Health Organization mandates than they did the national governments, which is where you had all these fights between the Kremlin and local governors, between Beijing and local regions, between Putin and like Cuomo and other, you know, regions who were in total opposition with each other. And it was unprecedented that you'd have such a conflict between the parts of a nation and like the federal component. Like we never saw this across the board. And it was done not because uh, the, 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 the parts of the nation, because at different times that could be a good thing like right we've seen examples of that where where local local parts of a nation know um are more interested in the well-being of the people and will have to fight sometimes but in this case this is also used at different times to weaken and destroy nations from within so golikova was the one overseeing that again she made billions um this is herman greff who's the uh the head of Spare Bank and a trustee of the World Economic Forum, a major transhumanist um, who's also hugely influential, even today, despite the fact that many of these oligarchs were hit, were taken down. Um, he's still got a huge amount of protection. All of these, well, these two top ones definitely do. This guy on the bottom right is the former finance minister, Alexei Kudrin, who was fired by Med Medvedev. And uh, Kudrin was, fi again, finance minister, but he was also the... Um, the head of the uh, the Chamber of Commerce of Russia, he got fired by Putin right at the beginning of the special military operation. And I forgot to mention here that it was at the beginning of the special military operation that Anatoly Chubai finally escaped Russia in 2022 and said, I'm, I'm leaving. And he was formerly the, the head of, um, what was it, the Special Representative for Relations with International Organizations for Sustainable Development at the UN. That was his official... Uh, position. So he's he had a lot of protection despite the fact that Russia took down and identified him as the source of the CIA Western takeover of Russia in the 90s, despite that he had a huge amount of power. So that's interesting that uh, that he was still protected. But now there's like this new wave of purging of cleansing of these fifth colonists. And um, just to get it. And so you got again, the billionaire, the billionaires, the technocrats, and then the old families. That's the the, diff the three categories that I can identify cybernetics technocrats who are transhumanists the billionaires who are built up who are sort of the doers but they're not the thinkers they're supposed to be obedient to the technocrats and that's like people like uh you know these dudes who are thrown in jail you know and then you got the old families who are who are i think a little bit more violent this is much more tied to the occult um all of which are not friendly <laughs> and they all interface together um so the oligarchs look like look like they're from central casting. They look like typical, prototypical Russian like mobsters. And the technocrats look like from central casting, prototypical, like evil uh, uh, plastic surgery, like LA type. Um, um, let me uh, in, put put you know implants in my body and become part machine cyborg. Uh, this is amazing that, that these people are real. And uh, yeah, it's it's. it's it's so pronounced, eh? Like what you just—it's—it's—they're falling directly into these archetypes of what exactly what you'd expect them to look like, and it's true. Mm -hmm. Like looking at all these Russian oligarchs, I was like, yeah, they all look like they're out of like The Godfather. Mm -hmm. um, it's, so what happens when you're a, a trader in Russia? Okay, so one of the things that Putin warned about is that you're more you—they will—you're expendable, 
and Putin tried to like shake them and make this message clear that they that the oligarchy, the higher caste that you want to like work for as house slaves so badly will kill you if you're not useful. They don't care about you. And some examples of that, just a few, and there's a bigger list. You got uh, Berezovsky, who died, he was strangled to death in his mansion in 2013 on the right. Uh, you got one of his key uh, um, allies, who was a former FSB operative, who was working always for Berezovsky, who also became a journalist um, as part of this like anti-Putin, anti-corruption movement, uh, employed always by Berezovsky, who ends up getting poisoned in London, Litvinenko, poisoned in London. And it's polonium poisoning, the same thing that they used to kill Arafat. And they exhumed Arafat's body later on. And, and it was the Swiss uh, Research Institute that proved that Arafat was, in fact, poisoned. Um, but Alexander Litvinenko. Oh, uh, that was polonium, right? I, I don't know if you just said polonium. that. I, I didn't catch yeah. Polonium. Polonium T10, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you got right there. Right. So and it wasn't in Russian. But it, after both of these deaths, of course, all of the media blitzkrieg is Putin is killing his enemies who have no influence in Russia at all. It benefits Putin not at all. Um, the other, so then also the richest man in Georgia. Hey Matt, hey Matt real quick, can, can you go back to that slide? Just a quick question. Yes, sure. Yes. The guy on the left, I just noticed it says he converted to Islam on his deathbed and, bur and buried according to Islamic tradition. That. That didn't happen to be like being thrown into the ocean off a boat or something, right? Because like like they purportedly did to Osama bin Laden. Is that what? Uh, huh. Is that I how they buried him? I don't know, but <laughs> but it just was like a very convenient. It was like a very very convenient narrative. Like oh yeah, yeah, we tossed his body into the bottom of the ocean because uh, that's what you know we're supposed to do because he's a Muslim. So out of respect for him. Well, well it, in this case, yeah. in in the case of 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 Osama bin Laden, wasn't it? Wasn't didn't they do that because it was like. A, a sacrilegious thing like an insult to the muslim world because you're supposed to treat the body as sacred and not throw it into the ocean and it was like a way to say f you to the whole muslim world when they did that yeah it, it could you, you could be right it could have been an inversion i just remember that was like the explanation they gave to the west is like hey we did this because this is what we're supposed to do to muslims so uh, yeah anyway didn't mean to yeah, sidetrack it was definitely convenient because there was no evidence on like what the hell osama bin laden was that actually his body did he die earlier what the hell was that like <laughs> Yeah, all of a sudden yeah. they, don't, they don't have any, anything to explain, and maybe I think in his case, I have no idea what how they they discovered it was polonium. I guess they did it; they exhumed his body or something to prove it. That, but it was that's what, they, I mean, that's, that's what they did. The Yasser Arafat is like they they didn't do it at first because like to respect the Muslim tradition, and then later his wife was convinced to do it, and she ordered it to be done. Like in like yeah. 2012. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, let's just go through a quick sampling as well. Just a couple more, couple more case studies of fifth columnists who uh, whose masters sometimes find them more useful dead than alive. This is Arkady Patarkachivili. Uh, These Georgian names are tough, but he was the richest man in Georgia. Um, built up a huge fortune under the the perestroika privatization policies of the former Soviet states, and uh, yeah, he was uh, he died in Surrey, England. February 12, 2008. That's him with Berezovsky, who was later on to die. Um, again, blamed on Putin. Um, this is around the time Putin's giving his famous Munich security conference speech, basically calling out the West as, you know, trying to destroy Russia. So this is a, a very big thing there. Um, you got the, of course, weird case of Sergei um, Skripal and his daughter, Yulia, 
who um, we're almost on the six-year anniversary of their having been poisoned by Novichok in um, in England, of course, where he was staying as a Russian trader who was given safe sanctuary in England. And a uh, weird, weird story with him and his daughter, uh, both of whom apparently, you know, they, they, they disappeared. We don't even know what happened to them. They didn't apparently die officially, but they totally disappeared. Their bodies were found passed out at a park um, near their house, apparently like sort of eight hours after they were exposed to Novichok that was like pasted onto the handle of their door of their house. Mm-hmm. Um, which by the way, a nerve toxin like Novichok acts yeah. immediately and vir- like you're dead within seconds. These guys, yeah. it was like eight or nine hours later and they were like found passed out in a park by the, the head nurse of the British army <laughs> who was just like taking a stroll and found their two bodies right there in a park passed out on a bench. And so weird situation. They disappear. Um, All evidence that this came from Porton Down, which is right down the street from where they were found. The the Porton Down uh, chemical, you know, bio warfare facility of Britain. That's where Mm -hmm. they were found. Yep. Hey, real question about about Novichok because I I don't have I'm not super ready on it. I just I think it was on defected on Sunday night. Uh, Kyle is just human and Burning Bright were talking about it. And I believe Kyle was the one who said that. like, like he had done research on it. It sounds like number one, it's so toxic that it's not like feasible to even use in the field because you're more likely to poison yourself than to poison your target. And number two, it, it's like a it's like an agent that is only like in possession of like the CIA and maybe British intelligence. Like the Russians don't even have it. And then I went and did a little bit of research on it before the show and found that there's this other thing called like J uh, GJ is like a like an agent that. And apparently this this um, Operation Shocker is what it was called. And the allegation is that Operation Shocker was a counter a, a counterintelligence operation run by the FBI against against Russia, where they were basically feeding Russia. They were using um, like like fake spies to feed Russia bad intel. And through mm-hmm. the fake spy, the allegation is that they gave Russia this 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 uh, a poison that they knew could not be weaponized. And then Russia went ahead and weaponized it anyway, and that's how they came up with, with Novichok. That's like the official story, or at least what I could just, what I could find as being the official story of, of how Russia got Novichok, um, which is really really bizarre. Like, like none of it makes any sense. It's like, wait, so y'all couldn't figure out how to weaponize it, but they figured it out. And and it, anyway, didn't know if you had anything on on Novichok, but th- but but that's the poison that they they claim killed um, Navalny. That's the exact same poison that they claim exactly that they yeah, yeah and we'll. So just a, as a couple more examples. So yeah, these these poor people. I don't know what the hell happened to them, but they're gone. Or especially his daughter. I mean, poor her. I don't know how the hell where where, where she is these days. But nobody knows. Um, but again, that that justified shutting down Russian embassies, kicking out Russian diplomats from Britain, from the USA, all blamed on Putin, of course, ignoring all evidence. And that was part of a something that had already been going on. We saw this massively with Bill Browder, who was the biggest, single largest uh, foreign investor in Russia during the 1990s, working with Strobe Talbot and George Soros. Um, That was his accountant, who he lied saying it was his lawyer. And they ran a massive investment firm in Russia, uh, Bill Browder did, as a billionaire. He's he's always on CNN, always uh, always representing as a Russian expert. his his he was actually running a graft operation doing money laundering and Russian authorities discovered that this was happening. And so they they arrested um, some of his employees, one of which being his accountant, Sergei Magnitsky, who ends up dying 
in um, in captivity in Russia. Now, there's a lot of evidence that has come to the surface that it was Bill Browder that deployed one of his assets to give this guy some food, which was poisoned that killed him, as well as three other employees. Um, but despite that, of course, Bill Browder then spins the whole tale to make it sound as though it was Russia that was using his company to launder money. And it was his lawyer, Magnitsky, as he says, who discovered it and was about to blow the whistle. And that's why Russia killed him. And he built up this whole global campaign of sympathy uh, for Magnitsky that they created what was known as the Magnitsky Acts in 2011 in U.S. Congress and around Europe to basically sanction um, tons of Russian enterprises for a variety of reasons. Um, basically, anybody doing business with Russia for on, on a whole category of, of things would be sanctioned. And... Um, and yeah, so as it turns out, he just basically projected Freudian wise all of the sins he was doing onto Russia, saying they were using his his company to do money laundering, and uh, and and he lied, saying that this, this accountant was actually his lawyer, which he wasn't. And uh, anyway, Bill Browder is, in my view, probably a Satanist. I mean, there's enough. He's he's into some weird stuff. So things like that. Now, now more recently in. Um, 2015, we had an insignificant member of the Russian Duma parliament uh, named Boris Nemtsov, who was the head of the Union of Right Forces, who uh, was shot, gunned next to the Kremlin, walking down the streets, um, blamed obviously immediately on Putin, wanted to kill his opponents, even though this guy was insignificant. He had less than 2% support from Russia, the Russian population. He was a non-player. That's him speaking at a pro-Ukrainian rally in 2015, or maybe it's 14. Um, very clearly a traitor. Um, so he was eliminated uh, uh, because again, more useful dead than alive. So there's, and I'm, I'm leaving out a big list of people. I could have said Trotsky too, frankly, <laughs> who was like, I think the first, uh, um, Russian fifth columnist killed by his Western handlers when he was in Mexico in 1939. And they turned him into this sort of like folk hero afterwards. Um, but all of evidence that I've seen is that it wasn't, it wasn't the Russians that killed Trotsky. It was his handlers because he knew too much. He was more useful dead. He was clearly not going to take power in Russia by the 1939 period. They they gave up all of their efforts. His whole like or big most of his fifth column assets and devotees of Russian fascists by this time were taken down in Russia. So the, he was no more use. He was of no more use. Um, so Trotsky was taken down, which brings us to our man. Our man Berezovsky. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Navalny. Navalny. I don't know if you were, was there anything you uh, that that caught your attention going through the uh, the Ritter um, essay or any thoughts you you had on that? Yeah, yeah. There were a few things. A uh, few things I caught that I thought were interesting. Let me um, let me share my screen. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have the article pulled up, uh, and of course, and of course, if, like anything that you want to talk about, just point out. But. Uh, so um, this is Scott Ritter. He he did a um, there's a video in here, I'm, I'll, and I'll post a link in the chat, and I'll post it in the uh, comments as well for people who are listening later. Uh, apparently, he explains in this video, this like two hour interview right here, that um, <clears throat> he he came to a deal with RT to be, because he was I guess he was traveling through Ukraine and um, wrote a, a three part uh, three articles three part series about. This whole situation and i, I think the this is the first article if i'm not mistaken and then they, he said a second one's coming out um 
or is this, this might be the second article after? No, this is the the first. This is part one of this is part of, one. Okay, an ongoing. And I think, and then I think, and then I think you said the second one's coming out on Sunday, so maybe maybe this Sunday mm -hmm. is the second one. Um, but he goes into like great detail about like the like this guy's life, Navalny's life. He explains how he was he was born in 1976 um, in in Soviet the Soviet Union, and he his father worked for uh, the Soviets. And he was radicalized, according to Ritter, by listening to his father speak to his partners about how Russia was collapsing and how awful it was. And the thing that stood out to me is just how he kind of gets plugged in in 1999 to one of these NGOs uh, and you know, pro-democracy NGOs and uh, kind of begins. The, he's described in a, like the language that's used to describe him reminds me of the language that was used to describe Obama, like he was a a a. Uh, local organizer is how they describe him, which is how they also described Obama. And I, I think that's like a way that's almost like news speak for um, he's a populist nationalist or he's a populist folk hero or whatever. Um, he's a local organizer. And the one thing that really stood out to me was um, so going back to the Oliver Stone interview, he talked about Stone asked him about um, the Muslim population of Russia and why they don't have issues there. And Putin explained how um, despite the fact that 20% of their population is Muslim, they don't have, they've never had a radical Islamic terrorist group there or those kind of sentiments or those kind of divisions or those kind of infighting because the Muslims who live there have always been Russia, uh, Russian and they have always considered Russia to be their home. So they don't have a desire to destroy it, um, which is really interesting. This guy, Navalny, uh, is making videos in 2007 and here it is. He says Navalny appears in a video where he basically, where he's saying that Muslims are cockroaches, like Russian Muslims are cockroaches and they should be shot. And then apparently he pulls a gun out and shoots it and like pretends to shoot a Muslim or something. And he, and he says right here, he declares that pistols were to Muslims like fly swatters and slippers were to flies like, like cockroaches. Hmm. So it's just interesting that like this, here's a clear cut example. Like when I, when I put that side by side with what Putin told Stone years ago, like seven years ago, about how why they don't have issues between the Muslims and the Christians in, in Russia, and then this guy here he is in 2007 trying to stir up, trying to stir up division between Muslims and Christians in Russia, trying to blame the Muslims who've always been in Russia, they've always lived there, and he's trying to blame them for like what's happening in Russia as if they had anything to do with, you know, the Soviet Union and and communism and the collapse of like dude the the, the Muslims were part of the White Army who were fighting fighting against this stuff. You know, at the end of World War One, but anyway, uh, uh, just wanted to point that one thing out. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm, yeah, that's that's really important because yeah, he went from from a hardcore like right wing pseudo neo not not even pseudo pro neo Nazi fascist organizing trying to find these pro Bandera groupings within Russia, which are kind of like not as popular as they are in Ukraine, but trying to like group them together and unify them all around some fake idea of, of nationalism against Muslims who he's promoting be murdered and then does a makeover, goes into the Yale, right? He's like sent to some like Yale World Fellows program under uh, overseen by some Soros trainee uh, journalist, Yevgeny Albats, who's working with Gary Kasparov. And, uh, and he comes back as this like anti-corruption liberalizer, you know, like, and yeah. also working with Gaidar's daughter, Maria Gaidar, who I brought up, Yegor Gaidar, who brought in the World Economic Forum, his daughter, Maria Gaidar is the guy, is the woman who he's working with this whole time, um, bringing in all of these like liberal 
pro rules based order pro NATO um, messagings um, and 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 doing this weird stuff called like shareholder activism where he's got all of this money all of a sudden he starts like just buying up little like minority shares of every company so that he has a right to go to the meetings and then he's being given briefings obviously from Western intelligence like this like MI6 telling him what to say when he goes into the meeting calling out whatever little corruption they can like find and rallying all of the shareholders to have like rebellions inside of the companies as if the companies were like a government which they kind of are right like a company is kind of structured yeah. as a government yeah. in many ways yeah mm -hmm. yeah there's so and he's organizing these little little bolshevik revolutions within <laughs> the companies to destabilize russia and to make sure that these companies are not viable can't function for the national uh you know interests and are and, and become ultimately fungible fungible and just are, are are destabilized from within so that's part of what his assignment is that they've been using quite a bit as this champion of uh, of of anti-corruption you also mentioned something else that was that i thought was fascinating I, di I didn't have anything pulled up for this but uh the fact that this guy's being elevated as like a hero by the western media um what you just said is absolutely true ritter kind of talks about it in his article about how he was he basically tried to become the um, like the honeypot for all the different right-wing groups, like right-wing populist groups to come to him, um, including neo-Nazi groups. And when, and when he's been asked about this, like by, by Western media, he's basically said, and they've co provided cover for him where he's like, well, I, you know, I was trying to organize like a coalition. So I can't, I can't control the fact that these people are Nazis, but I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with having Nazis as part of my coalition for now, because I'm trying to, you know, build something bigger. And you have to understand that, you know, this is a big, a big tent movement. And so, yeah, we're going to have people that we don't see eye to eye with. It's like the total inversion of the rhetoric that they've been using against Trump. Um, and Trump is not associated with, with, with Nazis. But if there are Nazis out there who are voting for Trump, it's like they're just part of the they're just latching on to like the nationalism and whatever, like the, like those parts of his rhetoric. But it is amazing. The contradictions, those contradictions are what we should be flushing out and blasting wall to wall because it's insane that they are providing cover for this guy for, for doing this. Yeah. It's so blatant. Well, but you know, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Canada where we just had, um, you know, yeah. not that long ago, a giant, all of the parliamentary uh, member, like members of the Canadian parliament were applauding for an actual SS killer Nazi in our parliament with Zelensky applauding with his wife for this guy. Uh, not that long ago, like two seconds ago. Uh, yeah. so we're pretty i mean people have been really i mean we had un, unreconstructed nazis that were brought into nato right like heusinger uh hitler's chief of staff was made the chief of staff of nato right after world war ii he should have been hung for for being the killer that he was and he was given a job by dulles running nato as its chief of its general secretary and you had eight leading nazis after him all managing the eastern and central uh affairs for nato all the way up until 1983 right so yes. we, we basically the nazis didn't lose in that sense and that's the scary they thing for a lot lose. of westerners to like internalize this yeah. like whew, they were the banderite nazis were unreconstructed were were given new jobs in canada in the united states in britain all of the nazis in germany were given some were, were disposed of but most were sent to south america sent to egypt sent to syria sent to west germany to build the german intelligence agencies were given jobs in our science sector running the manhattan project 
all uh, of these things. NASA, hello, hello. Werner von Braun's like the guy who like, built the space shuttle. Like he was building rockets for the Nazis during World War II. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole thing. So people are just running away from like the fact that the Mengele Satanists were given jobs. This is what was running MK Ultra. This is what created, and this is also Japanese fascists too that Trotsky was working with. And part of Trotsky's logic is, well, we have to work with the fascists, uh, just for a, as a as a necessary evil. And it's like that's the same thing that the, that Navalny was saying. Trotsky was saying this in the, in the 1920s and 30s, and, and Navalny was saying this later on. But it's the same plan. It's like they always wanted this. Um, at the end of the day. So who killed Navalny? At the end of the day, we're told it's Putin. Um, you have, you, you have any, uh, any theories about who killed Navalny? Um, my first guess would be the CIA. My second guess would be British intelligence. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The fact, that, the fact that, that there's that video, which everyone says is Navalny, but I don't think it's Navalny. I think it's one of his like deputies meeting with that uh, British, British uh, intelligence officer or or um whatever asset and uh asking for 10 to 20 million dollars annually as a budget to run color revolutions and then lists out all the activities they want to do that are color revolution activities should i uh, should i play that video it's one minute long should i play it yeah so it's only a minute yeah play it all right cool if we had more money we could expand our opportunities of course a little money So for those who didn't pick up on it, the guy he was talking to was British, British intelligence, um, and such a fascinating when he lists out like the here's the things we want to do: civil, uh, a civil protest, propaganda, establishing contacts with the elites. Like he just described the summer of 2020, guys. He just described exactly what they did in the year 2020 to America. That is exactly like step by step what they did. And you had the elites, who, which would be the billionaires, you know, the Bill Gates, like those guys, and the celebrities, the Hollywood celebrities. Like you had yeah. those people working together to push these narratives to convince people that uh, red is blue and up is down and black is white. Yeah, and you can imagine, like the 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 people running like Black Lives Matter, who are multimillionaires. I mean, mm -hmm. having the same kind of discussion with their handlers, saying, "Look, even though we've got this, like." Frankfurt, you know, we got this Marxist uh, worldview behind, like ideology backing up our our revolutionary fervor. Don't don't worry, you know, when we when we destabilize the government, we won't we won't uh, destroy private sector. Don't worry, we'll take care of you. We're rational people. We'll we'll treat you good. You know, it's sort of like <laughs> this back and forth weird um, 
synergy between the big tech, big big money power structures that control these figures and uh, the assets that they use to create chaos and anarchy to destabilize nation states as we see all over the world. What do you got there? Um, I was I thought I had it pulled up, but I might, might need to, to go back. The uh, I was just going to show where this, I don't know, if, I can't remember if Scott had it in his article, but showing just where this prison is. Um, I'm going to stop okay. sharing it out. I'll, I'll find the tab and I'll, I'll bring it back up. But, but uh, keep going if you had... Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that that's the thing. It, one of the, the questions is, this obviously doesn't benefit Putin killing Navalny, who had zero significance. Navalny, he actually saved Navalny's life in 2020 when Navalny uh, got seriously sick when he was on a trip with a British, as Scott Ritter makes a point, it was a British um, intelligence asset uh, or agent who was, who was voyaging with Navalny when Navalny got violently ill and... The Russians could have kept him under control, but they they made sure that he got access to German uh, medical treatments. It was a big risk on Putin's part. He could have killed him if he really wanted to then, but he made sure that he got access in Germany. He could have, Navalny could have stayed in Germany, but he chose to go back to Russia. Why? Maybe because he's not his own man. Um, oh, there's the location of the, the prison yeah. colony. Yes, yeah, so this is the prison that Navalny was in. And just, just so people understand, I think, I think it's important to, under, to like see this. It's 2,000 mm. miles from Moscow. Mm. I mean, I mean, if you can manage to escape, apparently, from what I've read, there's no uh, there's no mail system and there's no way to contact this prison. So this prison literally is completely yep. isolated. There's no way to con there's no way to reach the outside world if you were to somehow take over the prison. There's no way to communicate with people. Nobody comes and like does like the mail service. And if you were to actually get outside of the prison, you're gonna freeze to death before you find anybody. Yeah. Um, so killing this guy, like, like, why does killing this guy make any sense? And this is the same logic that I apply to like all these other narrative deployments that are happening, including, you know, Jamal Khashoggi. It's like, what is the benefit of Putin killing this guy right now when he has the West on the ropes? He has Ukraine, you know, he has the, the, the deep state in Ukraine on the ropes, you know, yeah. public sentiment is finally kind of turned in his favor in the West, yeah. as far as like the, as far as like the underclass goes, like, like the peasant class, us. Um, why would he then do this and give them a reason to, yes. to you know, like get a second win? Yes, exactly. So what was going on um, right the day after his body ends up like he wakes up dead is the Munich Security Conference, of course, where we see all of the, the there is not enough support. We can see that on the 12th, the 13th, the 14th of uh, February. There's not enough support. Everyone can see of the uh, the. the Ukraine made massive losses, huge retreats. Um, nobody wants to pour more money into this obviously losing game. And then all of a sudden, he's dead. And the propaganda machine goes full, thro full throttle. And who shows up in uh, at the Munich Security Conference but Navalny's wife? Navalny's wife shows up. And gives this this speech, basically saying they killed my husband. Uh, the blood is on your hands if you don't pour money into getting justice served. And uh, and of course, this immediately results in France and Germany signing binding mutual treaty agreements with Ukraine, pouring more billions of euros into Ukraine. Everything changes. So what was going to fail the day before Navalny is dead now, all of a sudden, is a great success story financially speaking, at least. Um, and. I was wondering too, like who who the hell had the ability to 
murder Navalny, right? Like this, this would mean background checks on the security guards. You should see, did anybody visit him? Um, do the security guards or people working at administration at the, at the prison have maybe family children in foreign universities that were being held over their, their heads? I don't know. These are questions I was thinking, but then somebody yeah. brought to my attention last night that he did get one visitor. He did get one visitor the day before exactly. he died, his wife who gave him a basket wow. full of medicines and snacks. And his wife, <laughs> what does his wife do? This guy's, first of all, a total loser, right? Like, I mean, I don't think she's at a loss for the fact that her, her husband is a total loser uh, with a with a weird violent streak about him. He's not, and in, even his handlers at different points, um, uh, Albats, Yevge, uh, Yevgenia Albats was writing to um, uh, various powerful interests, and she was like the person managing him in the 2007, 2008 saying that, look, he doesn't have the stuff to be a political player, but we can use him as an anti-corruption activist. He makes noise good. But so they don't respect him. Yeah. So she gives him this. And all of a sudden, her next thing is she's on a plane to the Munich Security Conference speech where she is ready to now give this speech seconds after he is dead. I'm not saying this is evidence that she killed him, but I'm saying it looks bad. And the fact yeah. that as well, like there's there's some interesting stuff like her nails there's somebody who did like a little bit of an analysis over the fact that during the speech, she um, she she like doesn't have like manicured nails or anything, though she is like pretty well done up. And it's and she it has a bit of a weird disposition when she's speaking, you know, a weird smile, weird like. Mm-hmm. And then immediately. Yeah, so for right, whose husband was just apparently mor- murdered by the Russian government. I mean, yeah, like that's a bit you'd think you'd be a little bit more disheveled. Um, but mm-hmm. then like hours later, she gives a press conference where she has hyper well manicured nails, new makeup job, three, like, uh, I mean, super uh, well set up professional studio system indicating that either, either she went to get a high end manicure and, 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 and makeover. Um, and was like now doing this press conference with like three cameras, perfect lighting, all this stuff, or it was pre-recorded and they just then released it at that time. Interesting. Uh, one of those two things. <laughs> I mean, both, both, both those theories are pretty damning. But yeah, I mean, even if you buy the official narrative, like, like, like let's just enter. And this is these are exercises that I do all the time, where it's mm-hmm. like you want to think omnicamera, like, like Burning Bright calls it bicamerally, but really omnicamera. You want to consider all the possibilities. Okay, so let's just buy the buy the allegation that the Russian government actually killed this guy. Why, for optics reasons, because obviously it's going to be like obvious that he was killed if he was poisoned. They could have staged this in so many other ways to make it look like an accident. They could have paid off another inmate to, to, to shiv him, to like murder him, like and make it look like a, make it look like a, a dispute. They could uh, make it look like a suicide, like Epstein. They could, um, you know, there's so many other ways that they could have gone about killing him if they actually wanted him dead rather than mm-hmm. poisoning him. It's like they already have him in their possession. Why do they have to poison him of all things? Like they could have just done so many other things where it's it's like now you're gonna you're gonna poison him like that doesn't yeah. make it, like that does that screams outsider trying to t- trying to kill him from you know outside the prison walls basically absolutely yeah and why would you give him access because they his champions like the, the 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 technocrats on on our on our side of the iron curtain are all saying oh he was such a courageous person even when he was in prison he was still calling speaking out and writing against corruption on social media and other things uh as a courageous champion of freedom even though he was in prison he was doing it's like if they were, if if Putin was so afraid of this guy's like so-called great influence as an opponent of Putin and corruption, why did he give him full access to his social media, 
to he didn't like he wasn't censored. They obviously in Russia didn't respect his influence at all and let him just have total freedom to say what he wants to say. Um, so they obviously don't see him as a threat. Why would they kill him at that point in a in a in a manner that benefits them not at all, um, and only benefits the military industrial complex and the depopulationists. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Mm, you want to read? Yeah. What should we do? Should we uh, read some things or uh, talk about? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, let's see. There are a few other like just small topics that we discussed covering. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's, I don't know if we're ready to pivot to those or if there's anything else on, on the volume. Okay. Well, uh, so, no, no, like, I think we exercise. Yeah. We, we, we've uh, squeezed out that silkworm for all it's worth. We can, we can burn burn it now. <laughs> so, so let's just talk about like some of these other examples uh, in recent yeah. history of uh, of this kind of stuff happening. So Khashoggi, like like let's compare and contrast with some because the first thing I, I posted about this everywhere and, I, and I've been talking about this now for a while about like my this is just my own theory and I could be wrong could be completely wrong um, that the Saudi government did not kill Jamal Khashoggi. It doesn't make sense. Like the logic doesn't add up. Like why would you know, MBS is trying to present himself as this uh, this new Arab, this new this new generation of Arabs. Like we're not like the old Arabs that y'all think of. We're not zealots. We're not we're not like ruthless. We are much more moderate, much more reasonable. Um, he comes to power. He's already been announced as crown prince. He's already been coronated. He's already been given all of his father's powers. Uh, he's um, uh, done his corruption purge. He's arrested like like his enemies, so so to speak. None of them, by the way, I mean, some of them did uh, meet their demise, but not necessarily at his hands, um, you know, trying to flee the country or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but why then a year after, and, and of course, John Cullen, um, who d- completely disagrees with me, he he believes that Khashoggi, he's, you know, he he uh, did a lot of great research on the um, establishing that the, the uh, Vegas shooting was probably a failed assassination attempt either on MBS or his brother, who is the defense minister. Um, he, he thinks that Khashoggi maybe planned the Vegas assassination and this was revenge for the Vegas assassination. Maybe, maybe, but, you know, I would argue that if you're going to do this, you know, the population is already on your side. Like you've, you've gotten rid of Wahhabism. You've gotten rid of the radicalization. You've opened up society. You've given women the right to drive. The public is with you. You have the public mandate to keep going, you know, and, and in these books that I'm reading, these, these CIA asset books. Uh, books written by CIA assets. They're all trying to argue that he he was very really worried about his image. He was really worried about what the press was saying about him, and that's why he, they, he killed him. But it's like, why? If you're so worried about your public image, you're so worried about what people think about you. Why are you then going to become the thing that they've always said about Arabs? That like, oh, you're ruthless, you're underhanded, yeah. you're murderous. It's like you're zealot. You're gonna lean into that, and you're gonna do the one thing that they expect you to do, which is to kill off your opponents. It just doesn't make any sense. Like you're trying to, you're trying to represent yourself to the world as like this reasonable country that is ready to do business, and then you're gonna go murder the, murder this journalist. Doesn't make sense. I think Muslim Brotherhood, British intelligence, the same people who killed Navalny, I think killed Khashoggi for the exact same reason. They wanted to undermine his authority, make him a pariah in the international community, and then nobody wants to do business business with Saudi Arabia or MBS, which is exactly what Lindsey Graham said. Lindsey, Lindsey Graham said, I'm not going back to Saudi Arabia or talking to them until MBS is out of power. That's the exact quote that, that Lindsey Graham said. Um, and many other American politicians said that too. So, mm-hmm. you know, compare, com- compare, contrast those two things. And um, I think there's a lot to be said. Let's talk about the, the um, Canadian 
um, in Modi, like the like the assassination attempt oh, in Modi. Yeah, right. That's a great. Yeah, thank you, Ashley. That's a great point. Just to make it clear, it's not just about Russia as well, this or just about Saudi Arabia. It's every country that's part of the BRICS, that's part of the the resistance, that's trying to create an alternative system based upon the sovereignty of nation states and cooperation with a viable economic system based on long term development. Every country which is moving in that direction and breaking from their their, their moldings, um, they're all targeted. And the same technique is used as we saw in the case of Canada with this the murder. Here's a, a quick CBC uh, headline. Trudeau accuses India's government of involvement in killing Canadian Sikh leader. This guy is uh, Hardeep Singh Nijar, who is a uh, a Khalistani separatist that uh, is based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, Canada has been like, you know, British Canada has been a safe sanctuary for pretty much all of the fifth colonists. That whenever you're expelled from a country because you're you're part of a fifth colonist operation. You're given sanctuary in British-controlled territory, part of the Five Eyes, guaranteed. We have the Russian, the Moscow on the Thames. We got all kinds of cases in New York and California and all sorts of things of very bad apples that have been given sanctuary. But also in, um, like, I mean, the Falun Gong head, what's his name? Li Hongji, uh, who was kicked out of, of China for, for trying to basically, like, you know, run a massive destabilization operation using his followers of the Falun Gong in 1998. Uh, shutting down Beijing. And they said, look, this is a synthetic foreign agency that, that's created a synthetic cult trying to destabilize us. And they kicked out Li Hongji, who calls himself an intergalactic messiah, like interfacing with aliens. He's kind of like a Scientologist of Asia. And he was kicked out given wet. Where did he go? New York, where he was given a 400 acre estate in New York, which is where his compound now exists and all of his cult followers in their weird Scientology headquarters masquerading as some Qigong thing managing epoch times managing like thousands of other sub organizations dancing troops and, and crap are all organized out of this thing so when people in the west are given like uh you know asian looking faces to express how evil china is these are people who are generally disciples and followers of li hongji and falun gong as, as like asian scientologists who are like all believing that there's like aliens trying to suck up their organs and their 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 life essence and stuff through their blood because Li Hongji, Master Li Hongji says so because he's the Messiah. And uh and Canada. So in Canada, we've got one of the biggest, the biggest Sikh community in communities in the world outside of India, 740 really? million, uh sorry, thousand. It's big. And wow. most of them are based in British Columbia uh and Ontario. Um, one of them, and you know, not all, not all of them agree with this, but there's a big chunk of these groupings. Like a lot of them are really good people, but there is a significant number who are Khalistani separatists. They believe in the Sikh empire state of Khalistan, uh, which was a thing um, in some way before when the British empire was in control or before the British empire took control of India. And they're trying to revive this and they've been used to carry out drug, drug, money, drug laundering, money laundering, drug production in India since the 19th century, these groups. And especially throughout the Cold War, this is a big aspect of the of the, the, the Five Eyes operations in managing global drug, uh, drug trade, drug flows from India, the, the silver and golden triangles, utilizing the Kuomintang in Taiwan, the Kuomintang in Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam. Who are all based there as well, managing opium, opium and heroin production. So this is what also oversaw the murder of Indira Gandhi. After Indira Gandhi said, "No more of this foreign agency terrorist stuff. 
you know, masquerading as or, or using religion as a cover to run their drugs and and guns. And she went in with a heavy hand, admittedly, and people are going to hate me who uh, who hear me say this. But when you consider this global oligarchical operation, the way we're talking about it, revisit what people have thought about why Indira Gandhi went in in 1984, uh, the way she did into that temple. And I agree it was messy, but, you know, she didn't cause the problem. She, the, the problem was much bigger than her. And she got killed by her security guards right afterwards. And then you had the Air India bombing that killed 300 people off the coast of Canada, um, which was, again, CSIS that was supposedly covering and recording all of their their surveillance of the, the Sikh terrorists that carried out that 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 blow up the biggest aviation terrorist act in history up until 9-11, erased all of their recordings. They erased all of the CSIS recordings, right? Wow. Why did they do that? Was it because maybe our Anglo-American Canadian intelligence agencies have been managing terrorism, <laughs> terrorist cells for a long time, and they wanted to erase the evidence? Maybe I'd like to see some evidence of that. But to then blame this guy who was insignificant in B in BC, to, where he died in July, and all of a sudden CSIS comes out with a report saying, oh yeah, evidence has it with no, no evidence being proven. That Modi over commanded his murder, and that then justified kicking out Indian diplomats from Canada, and then India saying, "Oh, okay, Canada, you want to do that? Well, we're going to remove diplomatic immunity from the Canadian delegates in the in the Embassy of Canada in India." And you think, well, okay, that's pretty, that's rough, but okay, what does Canada do? Takes out forty six of their diplomats. Why? Maybe because they were actually doing illegal espionage stuff and there was evidence for it. And without diplomatic immunity, they would go to jail in Indian prisons. So that was what Canada did in resp response. And since then, there's been like we're seeing massive ruptures and, and disconnections of our economy from India, which is now being painted as another supervillain, as well as China, where, again, like all this stuff. So that's that's a picture there of Khalistan, eh? I'm sure it has nothing to do with bricks. I'm sure that has nothing to do with any of this. Um, no. But yeah, so, uh, I, just, I just wanted to provide some context. So we're talking about the region between India, pa Pakistan, and China. Um, this is mm -hmm. one of the most disputed territories, you know, historically speaking. Um, Kashmir, you, people probably heard of the term Kashmir. I believe this is where, like, the actual Kashmir fabric comes from. Is, is that right? I don't um, know. I, I don't know. I think it does. I, th I, think, that's, I think that's true. But anyway um it so you're saying the uh Kalistan, i, I want to make sure i say it right is this entire Kalistan. thing is, Kalistan is how they so in their opinion this whole thing should be an autonomous nation state like Sikh nation yeah Sikh majority Sikh nation, nation, yeah. Yeah. which they and were promised was, by the british back in the okay. 1940s they were promised well, that and the british never followed through which is what they do right and and uh yeah. they yeah became a useful yeah. tool since yeah, so just to give people a little context, it's you know this is the region we're talking about, Kashmir, um, Bangladesh. This is where the British primarily operated out of. They also operated out of uh, Bombay, these uh, which is a collection of islands over here. Also Sri Lanka, um, Ceylon is what it used to be called. Um, but Bangladesh was the that was like the seat of power um, for the um, mm -hmm. East India Company um, was out of Bangladesh, and yes, so. Very fascinating. Um, the Mughal Empire, which was Hindu, you had them, you had uh, the Muslims. Uh, so not, not necessarily a 50-50 split, but you know, you had Muslims and um, Indian uh, Hindu in India at the time. I think their population was like 1.2 million. This is like in the 1700s. Um, very, very advanced civilization there uh, compared to like the other colonies of Britain. 
And uh, that's how they, the, Brit the British exploited it, is they would basically use those, those natural divisions that were there to turn these people against each other, get the Hindus to fight the Muslims, get the Muslims to fight the Hindus, get the Muslims to fight the Muslims, et cetera. Um, you know, so this is this ties into the, the East India Company stuff that we talked about. I also want to show this real quick. This is something I stumbled onto. I've ordered this book because I can't believe I didn't find this before when we were doing uh, our, East, our East India Company digs. But look, look at this book. Um, this is a book that, from 2019 by William uh, Dallerpole. I, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Well, that name is impossible to pronounce. Yeah. The Dollar Anarchy Dollar. is what he calls it. And he says the, the East India Company invented corporate lobbying. And he Ooh. says it's the, the greatest act of corporate violence. It, it says the Anarchy, the East India Company, corporate violence and the pillage of an empire. And he describes it. Uh, he describes their activities in, in India as the supreme act of corporate violence in world history. Wow. Um, so I, I am looking forward to reading this book, um, but just yeah. wanted to, to, to share that. So gold. Um, yeah, really gold. Uh, so then the other the other thing, I don't know if you have anything else on on uh, on Canada and Modi, but if not, um, the other thing I wanted to ask about was Patrick Ho. We kind of talked a little bit about that last night. You had some interesting insights. And so for everyone to give context, um, and I haven't been following the story super close. Ash, I saw was in the chat. If she's still around, she probably she might have more actuals than I do. But basically, Hunter Biden corruption. Um, the Republicans in Congress or Senate are pushing the DOJ to give them um, access to the intel. Basically, Patrick Ho, who uh, Matt will explain who he was in his role, he is accused and convicted of bribing Hunter Biden. Um, basically like, like giving money to the Biden family and on its face, what it was is he gave him a million dollars to help him find a good lawyer in New York city. Like it was like a finder's fee. And, and the question is like, why, first of all, why would you need to hire somebody to find a lawyer in New York city? Just do it on your own. Number two, why would you go to Hunter Biden for that? Like there's so many other people yeah. who would be more, more qualified and why a million dollars? Why not $10,000 to, for as right. a finder's fee, right? Yes. So good questions. Yeah. You know, that, that this is useful. By the way, before I, I say anything about this, um, it is now pushing on two o'clock. Do we have any shows on Badlands Media that we have to be aware of and be gone for before? I, <laughs> I just a great, I don't want to. That, that is a great question. Um, I am checking the schedule right now. The schedule says there yeah. is not a show until 730. So I think we're good. Really? Yeah. Really? So we can we, oh. we can keep going for the next five and a half hours. I'm not, I'm not saying we should. <laughs> but yeah, we can totally marathon if we wanted to. Yeah, That's they're going to regret. They're going to regret uh, not filling up that time slot. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to run roughshod. Um, all right. So I guess in the most summary fashion, what I'll say about this is that uh, yeah, evidence, hundred percent in my view, um, he was doing bribes. Like he was he was obviously trying to buy access to people who make decisions. That's clearly what Patrick Ho was doing. It was this cover story doesn't hold weight for sure. However, there's a caveat. Um, I had first heard of Patrick Ho, surprisingly enough, in like 2015. And it was because I went to a conference in New York and it was all about the 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 BRICS, the multipolar reliance, the new Silk Road, why uh, this, how this can be used to defeat empire. And it was hosted by the Schiller Institute and, and Patrick Ho was a, was a guest speaker. And he gave a pretty good presentation. Now, Patrick Ho, so I was like, okay, this guy's kind of cool. He, and he gave away like free um, uh, monographs of the, the Belt and Road Initiative as a, as a, as a, a, a very pro-development, 
think, you know, um, idea going through all the different parts of Africa, the Middle East, everything that it could do to like end hunger. I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then I hear Patrick Coe again years later as part enmeshed in this weird scandal, right? So this guy's a, a foreign minister um, in Hong Kong. He is a uh, somebody who appears to me to have had the mission, like he had an assignment to do backdoor deals in every country because the, the Belt and Road Initiative is like a very flexible idea that's basically build infrastructure projects that increase abundance and product, productive powers of labor, increase industry everywhere you can and and build trust and win-win and cooperation. So try to encourage people to think about economics and capitalism from a different standpoint, not as the will of the stronger to defeat the weaker, but rather as the an, an idea which Americans once had that whether you're on the richer or the poor end of the spectrum, you can benefit by building things that are like, like really big mega projects. So that, however, in a world of mass corruption, like Africa was his primary assignment, that's tough to do because you have people who have been trained as technocrats in Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, and then sent back to their local part of the world in Nigeria or whatever to be like the local managers, or you have just like total like local billionaires like we saw in, in Russia or in India or in anywhere. Miles Wu yeah. in China is a good example of like this billionaire of China as well that ran him. It was built up in the 1990s under under the mass privatizations um, who are loyal to the West. They don't they're not national in any way but their job is to be billionaire mafia types. And then, so they're corrupt. They make decisions based on like who can bribe them, right? Who's got the bigger uh, basket full of money or, or suitcase full of money? I'll talk to you. Now, that kind of worked pretty well. Patrick Coe's assignment was primarily Africa. And he did a pretty good job. He figured out how to like open doors, pass suitcases, get people to sign contracts on infrastructure deals that would build a hydroelectric dam or schools or hospitals or whatever that needed to be done. And that's China's approach is like, don't worry about corruption, build things, just get it done. In the West, mm -hmm. our approach to keeping nations underdeveloped has been, we will only allow you to build things if you satisfy all of the IMF conditionalities upon which your loan is based. And those conditionalities involve um, massive structural readjustments, make sure technocrats stay in control, don't build actual things that benefit your people, make sure only Western companies control your oil or other 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 resources. That's part of the that's that's the game that was wired since the 50s and that we've been doing pretty well at keeping nations backwards and in ever increasing rates of debt because the interest is always going to be way more than your ability to pay. So the China approach is very different. They're like, okay, we're not going to worry about corruption. You're corrupt. Fine. <laughs> Let's get it done. Just build it, whatever it yeah, takes. Yeah. If that means we're going to spend 80, 80 work within more. the system that's already there. It's like just use the system that's already there. It's already yeah. corrupt. It's like don't don't fix it. It's like just make it happen using their corrupt little system. Got exactly. Yeah. Now Patrick Ho, naive, and this is a tendency I've noticed amongst many of the Chinese um, business class is that and political class, they had this idea naively that every country works the way these African countries work. And that you could go to some place like, like the United States and do the same sort of thing that worked so well in Nigeria or in Kenya. And all of a sudden, so he used the same formula and you, and you know, you go to Washington you're like, okay, well, who do I have to bribe to get access to somebody who can make a decision to build infrastructure? Who do I, who, like, you know, it doesn't take you long before somebody's like, yeah, uh, Dude, you got. Just, just walk out to 95 and just, uh, 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 like, like with some money hanging out of your zipper and some politician will pull up, will pull over his limousine <laughs> and, uh, and let you in. Like, yeah. I mean, can I, can exactly. I fault the guy? So, can, I, can I fault the guy for acting like he just walked into a strip club with a, with a suitcase full of, full of uh, hundreds? I mean, 
That's exactly what DC is. I mean, you he That's thought a, he was walking into a brothel. He's like, I thought this was I thought this was a a respectable, reputable establishment of um of whores. Like that's what I thought I like I thought I'd give you cash and you give me what I want. That's how this works, right? How can I fault him for that? You know, <laughs> that's hilarious. I'm gonna use this. That's that's a great, yeah. great metaphor. Um, yeah, so he walked into this thing and didn't realize what a complex Byzantine web of intrigue he was actually stepping into, which is Washington, DC. It's not what he thought it was. It's so much more sophisticated. There's so many more layers to it than in your average corrupt poor country. Um, and sure enough, yeah, like he bought off, he, he paid for access, but the U S is not motivated by money. The, at the end of the day, that's not, there's a death cult, which has taken control of the United States through the intelligence agencies, through the banking networks that don't care about making money. If they did, they would be working with Russia and China, the way Trump was trying to do on building things that would be prosperous for both American Americans as well as Africans and Russians and Chinese and Indians. That's not what's going on now. What's going on now is a very different paradigm. So he didn't realize that Biden doesn't make ultimately the final decisions on anything, but he got in, he did play into, unfortunately, this narrative to make Russia and China appear like the villains to scare Americans because we all need a, a villain to be afraid of. And so there, there were pre-arranged narratives set up to make it seem like Biden is a puppet of the CPC, of the Chinese. The Chinese are your enemy. The Chinese are your enemy. The Chinese are your enemy. Look, they've, they've put, they, they overthrew Trump. They, they, they put in Justin Trudeau. We've got right now committee hearings right now run by CSIS currently underway right now in Canada to convince Canadians that the Chinese interfered in our elections of 2019 and 2022. That's happening right now. There's never any evidence presented, but the media then takes the headline, they take gossip, they turn gossip into gospel, and then they reframe every little piece of information to back up and justify the prearranged conclusion that they want people to come to, which is not that um, Patrick Ho screwed up, <laughs> didn't know what he was walking into, and now it seems like he's like the hand of, of Xi Jinping controlling Biden. Or uh, there, there's this case now that's, that's also going viral of like a, a Chinese um, testing lab in California that's going viral right now. Where like this this lab in California, which was doing like pregnancy tests and uh, and uh, and blood tests. What they were actually the, the head of this thing was the head of the, this um, this what was it called a, a colloidal gold technology uh, leader whose name is uh, Zhu Bai. This guy was sent to Canada and to the United States to basically make deals, do business, and he didn't know what the hell he was walking into. Now he's actually been arrested for mislabeling equipment and. Um, what was it? Mislabeling equipment and giving false info to the, the FBI, to the Department of Defense. So those two things, giving false information, got him five years now in jail that he's facing and mislabeling equipment. These are the actual things that they have on him legally as far as evidence is concerned. However, local news and then amplified by Epoch Times and other things run by Miles Guo, who's like part of the whole Shanghai clique of billionaires of deep staters inside of China, who have been trying to destroy China since the 90s or since the 80s when Soros was running it. By the way, Soros got kicked out of Russia in 2015. He got kicked out of China in, in 1989 for a reason. Mm. 
they then started amplifying gossip that had no bearing on anything saying, oh, yeah, look, China has renegade laboratories in California building novel coronaviruses using lab mice. And within the, the actual mice, there were a thousand mice. It's true. They, they actually did studies of the mice. There was there was no coronaviruses found within the mice. But despite that, we've all, it's been repeated in the media that we all trust so much without evidence that we all now believe that China has a biowarfare facility set up in California to try to prepare for the next wave of attack that we know that the world, that the Bill Gates operatives are also, have been really entertaining. Like disease X is something that is, appears to me, I'm, I think it's a point of concern that there mm -hmm. is a plan to unleash something. I, I think that that is a legit concern, but who yeah. do, who will we see as the cause of it being unleashed? Well, we see it's the, the same oligarchical operatives that have been trying to destroy China, Russia, and the United States together for, centuries will we see that head of the british empire well, i say british empire oligarchy or will will we all will we all see china as the bad guy that we're going to give our consent to go to war with which is already happening like already the u.s military industrial complex is preparing for an attack on china utilizing taiwan as the new ukraine that's already happening they just need more of our consent to endorse and champion the oncoming war with china who you know so that's that's something to keep keep very very self aware of how we're being played. We've been profiled, and we're being played, and this technique is the same technique again and again. And Xi Jinping, we're told, is killing his opponents in China, and that's what Miles Guo was saying in his weekly briefings. What Miles Guo, by the way, who looks like a real super villain cartoon character, it's weird to see him with his little weird white puppy uh, doing rap <laughs> uh, <laughs> But you know, he's giving us these briefings on how to interpret. Uh, what's going on in the inside of China as if he knows. I mean, this guy was kicked out because he was a traitor in China overseeing bribery, murder, other things, utilizing Zenith Enterprises and JP Morgan, which he's a part of, um, who's now working with JP Morgan heiress uh, Connie Morgan, who's like a major patroness with his, uh, you know, federation for the whatever it is, New, new China. Um, he's working with the oligarchs justifying how we need to get behind NATO as the bastion of freedom. We need to get behind JP Morgan as the great patriotic organization that saved America so many times in the 20th century. That's the, the lines he's been pushing and saying how we have to understand how Xi Jinping has been, how it's so bad that Xi Jinping is jailed or punished 4.6 million communist party, Chinese communist party officials, 4.6 million have been punished. Man. Some have been executed. Why? When you look at who they are, he's saying it's there that Xi Jinping is is like a bad guy trying to destroy his political enemies, just like Putin is destroying his political enemies. That's the narrative. But if you look at who they are, you actually just do the breakdown of these Majian and all of these guys. They're all Soros operatives. They're all Western CIA assets who are working to destroy China from within. That's who's being taken down. So 1.6 million communists. That that has to be like an all-time high score. I mean. Who's going to break it's, that record of, of going after communists, man? That is, uh, yeah, that's impressive. Well, these this, are, these this are by the way, is not, this is not new information, like, like entirely uh, for Badlands audience. I mean, Kyle and Burning Bright have talked about this before because um, I, I think they've done some digs on G, uh, on G and, uh, you know, what he, you know, what is actually going on over there. And uh, they've made comparisons between G and Putin and how when they both came to power, they brought their own security um, they kind of operated in similar ways because they were they didn't they didn't seem to be trustworthy of their government and of their party, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. which is which kind of contradicts what you would think if you thought that, you know, Xi Jinping was, 
you know, this huge communist and like the CCP's a uh, golden boy. Uh, if he really was, then you, you know, everyone would be loyal to him. So um, I yeah, think that's interesting. Right. And then when you think about, like you said, with the COVID deployment, narrative deployment, I mean, we know now that I agree, that's exactly what they did. And at the time in 2020, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, yeah, I mean, some of this makes sense because you can make the argument the media was making that, you know, what Trump was doing to China with the this like, like economic warfare, they were trying to get Trump out, whatever. But when you really look at it, like Metabiota, Hunter Biden, Ukraine, like the media just completely ignored the allegations of these same kind of labs existing in Ukraine. And like, that's the smoking gun that this is not what, what you think it is. Um, and that, and that the likelihood is that China was probably framed to some extent, um, for, for that whole, that whole like Wuhan leak. So interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. No, I agree. I agree. Fascinating stuff. Shall we, uh, um, shall we do some, uh, some questions? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do some rants. Um, cool. Thank you for anybody who has submitted. Um, I have one, two. I, I see two rants. If you don't mind, uh, Matt, I don't think you have a chat pulled up, but if you would scroll through and just make sure you don't see any others. I, I have two, a, a $20 one and a $10 one. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll start the $20 one. Moonlight Girl. Um, I am 67, grew up uh, being terrorized with Russians. Will bomb us, get under your desk, uh, laughing emoji. They haven't been able to scare me for years, laughing emoji. Um, yeah, I, that's fascinating. I, I didn't grow up in that time, but that is kind of funny. I saw people in the chat responding to that saying that even at the time as a child, they thought it was weird that getting underneath the desk was going to save you from a nuclear blast. Um, Space Wander, 77, $10. Nice work, dudes. Thank you, Space Wander. Um, I am going to share my screen because we have some Badlands boosts that we want to talk about. Uh, let's see. All right. So if you want to support us, um, if you're if you're listening to the show, I know we, we play during the middle of the day, so it's hard for some people to, uh, to do that. So if you go to BadlandsMedia.tv over here on the right, <clears throat> support Badlands, and you come down to Badlands Boost, you click there. Um, this is a way to give like a rumble rant directly to uh, Badlands uh, so, so it doesn't go to rumble first. There's a drop down so you can pick which show it goes to. And it looks like we have three. I just do a quick search. So Q Patriot Angel, $10. Just throwing you a couple bucks to support Badlands and two great content producers. Thank you, Q Patriot Angel. We appreciate Thank your you. support. Yeah, very kind. Um, let's see. Uh, Boozer, $11. I enjoyed the show today. This is from February 7th. So I don't know if we've read this before, but I'll go ahead and read it again. Um, $11. I enjoy the show today. Always informative. I enjoy the, the dynamic and can see that you both are getting to, uh, to know the, the other more each episode. When both of you are bringing so much to the conversation, the back and forth can be one-sided. Um, so society would be in a far different reality if this type of journalism was the norm. Between the show and reading Joe Lang's articles on the financial aspect, I Feel I have a strong base to start from when doing my own research on our situation. Thank you for saying that. That's a that's a great great rant, and I I really do hope that's like the net effect of what we're doing here is really to try to like inspire people to go do their own research. Don't take everything we say as as gospel. I mean, go read the information for yourself. Um, and I talked about this at Gart. One thing I try to do, like when we talk about history, because I this is the way that I became interested in history because I wasn't always super interested in history was once once you start identifying like 
like vectors, like like points where things overlap, like JFK, for example. Like if we're talking about a subject and it somehow ties into the JFK assassination, if that's something that you're really into, you know, finding elements that are connected to it, like different shades of it, you may find that they're like a bunch of different topics that all tie into the, like the one thing that you're interested in. And so yes. through, through the lens, like through the vehicle of that one thing you're, you're really interested in, you can learn about all these different topics that are now interesting to you. Um, and it's easy to like digest and read information because you're looking at it through, through a different lens. Um, yeah, so well said. Very well that. said. Yeah, that's because like, I think, I think psychologically, like that's one of the things that I think block a lot of people who get a little bit intimidated by how much they don't know. And I felt the same mm -hmm. way too. I was like, oh, oh my God, you know, when you just start like shifting gears mentally and you're like, there's this whole spectrum of reality I don't know anything about. And that's liberating in a sense, because now you're like at least freed from the popular narratives that are that are designed to be a cage controlling you. But it's intimidating at the same time too, because you're like, I don't know so much. Where do I start? And it seems when you start looking around, okay, this researcher has done a lot of amazing work. They put years into like, figuring out this thing about the JFK murder or the, the, the central banking, you know, federal reserve conspiracy or whatever. You're like, well, what little can I offer The best I can do maybe is, is try to take notes and memorize what other people have said. And maybe I can, I could say something useful at a, at a dinner party or, or at a conversation with my buddies or something on break. But it's, but that, that's a psychological inhibitor that we have. Um, letting ourselves just sort of just because somebody else has done research on something doesn't mean that we shouldn't do our own, like read a book that somebody else has written and we will find, cause we're all unique souls. We all have our own unique personalities. And the more we just kind of like let go of our ego and just get into the, the, the uh, healthy obsession with knowing well, what really did happen. How can I truly know what happened with JFK and Alan Dulles and maybe like, let's say the, the, the use of Nazis in NATO's secret army. How could I really know that? You'll find that as you begin to really develop knowledge by reading the like longer essays, longer books, what like really, really doing your own your own personal dive, that it'll start being your own mind is going to shift gears. Your your own personality, your own unique soul is going to find the the passion that will color all of how you're thinking about it, and you will generate increasing amounts of insights that are more than the sum total of the facts that you're dealing with. It'll, it'll necessarily happen in new associations of how JFK's murder is tied to, let's say the murder of, of Thomas More in England might happen because it's true, but it has to be discovered that I don't know if that's going to happen, but all these nonlinear associations are naturally going to unfold because we're living in a, in a drama that is universal history. That's su such that you will start realizing that shit that happened Back when Rome was collapsing and Cicero was being killed, trying to stop Rome from becoming an empire, has more relevance on your world that you're living in today than things that are just separated by by days or weeks in the past from from where you're living, right? So yeah. you're living in this story, and I think it's it's so important to find the drama. We're storytellers. We're storytelling species. That's how we engage children. All resonate to story storytelling. It's a powerful tool for good or for bad. And if we do it for good, oh my God, you can like streamline, you can get the effect. This is why they say Shakespeare's work on uh, on on the histories, on the Roman histories and Julius Caesar, that one, two and a half hour performance of Julius Caesar made by Shakespeare. I've heard this said and I've, I've thought about it. I've read books about the Roman empire, about the murder of Julius Caesar, the, the cause of, of, of Caesar's 
of, of Rome's collapse. There is more truth in so many ways in that history play of, of if I take Julius Caesar, um, um, Coriolanus, which is pre-Julius Caesar, and Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, these, that trilogy of plays by Shakespeare has more truth than thousands and thousands of pages of chronicling documentation of the history of, of Rome. There's factually might be more in it, but it's less true than the soul of what Shakespeare is communicating as far as deep truths in those stories, which get us at the heart of why the why were people tragic when they didn't have to be tragic? How could it have gone otherwise? All of these things are embedded in classical tragedy. And so we're always looking, I'd always encourage people to look for the tragedy, look for people who were not tragic, who broke from their fear and became bigger people like Martin Luther King Jr. or, or John F. Kennedy. And then look for people who could have been better and chose to be binded by uh, des a desire to be comfortable, thus becoming tragic, acquiescing to evil, becoming corrupted when they didn't have to be. And that's 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 shaping all of history. Man, man we need to clip that rant, bro. That was a great that was a great rant. Um, and yeah, and very well said. And I'll just I'll just add that. Um, you know, you'll, you'll probably notice that throughout the episodes that that uh, that I've been on here, um, we we kind of go through the same time period over and over again. It's like we, we circle back and kind of like the 1970s. We talk about the 1970s many, many times. Right. And every time we every time we, we go through, like I always kind of make sure to hit on some of the events or the people that we've talked about before to try to establish those points of connection, because people ask, like, how do you remember all this stuff? And and the answer is, is because the more points of connection that you can provide, like it's the same way you remember things in your in your daily life, the, the way you remember these things that are happening to you, like with people around you, the more points of connection that you have, the more it reinforces that information and the more that you can connect. And like you said, tell that story to yourself. Um, that's how people remember. It's like that's how you remember the movie that you saw two years ago one time mm -hmm. it's like you remember it because the story of the movie well i remember they said this in the story so when we go back and we talk about the same time period over and over again but from different lenses from different perspectives i make sure to to to, to touch on those critical points like those connection points because i think it helps reinforce um the story reinforce and and connect things so that things that seem obscure become a lot more relevant i think in your mind. So, yeah, well said. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with that immensely. And and I would also add to that the um, the ironies. Like, for me, it's, it's always um, part of the, the core of what makes drama really great is the utilization of, of ironies. Like, yeah. the fact that mm -hmm. Russia saved America. Russia, who is, we are sold of, uh, we are sold is mm -hmm. our natural enemy has saved America on so many occasions. And we in turn have saved Russia on so many occasions through most of history, which have been scrubbed out of our history books. And that's ironic that, right? And, or that today, the best, the best expression of what made us great and made us build things and overcome limits to growth um, throughout history. And as far as like the West and especially the Republic of America, that print, those that, that practice of what, the thinking was philosophically and the practical action of it, as far as the technology of government, the, the utilization and improvement of technologies and the encouragement of new discoveries is today being expressed in action in nations that we are told are the most un-American. If you look at the BRICS nations, look at how China has been able to build 
40,000 kilometers of high-speed rail when North America has almost zero? How are, how are Russia and China building 80% of the world's nuclear power, which we used to champion, and we've, we're building like less than zero almost? Like, So how are they doing it? Well, look at the type of approach to banking, protectionism, long-term thinking that we used to do. They're being more American than we are in that sense, as far as the legitimate idea of what made America great. So again, irony, like, so let those ironies, there's so many of them sink in. And, um, and then that, that also creates that anchoring in the mind around which, you know, things just stick better. Names stick better. Places, events, dates stick better. If you have it, if you're irony oriented such that you're thinking always, and I was thinking about this once uh, advice that, that somebody had, had given me when I was, I was doing terrible presentations when I, I was a, a volunteer for a few years in the LaRouche organization. And when I was starting out, it was taking me a while to figure out how does my mind work best. And I was giving very bland presentations, very fact driven, and it would put people to sleep. And every, every month I was trying to challenge myself to give a, a public presentation. We would do these, these weekly meetings and I would, I would say, okay, once a month, that's part of my, my, my self discipline thing. I was like, once a month, I'm going to give a lecture. The first two years they sucked. And I, I, I now, I, I know that they sucked, but I was like, I'm going to keep trying. Um, and, and somebody gave me really good advice. They said, no, every slide, cause I always had PowerPoints and they said, look, every slide, don't think of it as giving more information quantitatively. Think of every slide as a punchline to something that you're setting up as a, it doesn't have to be a joke, but you're thinking of everything as a punchline, as an answer to a question that you're mm -hmm. setting up so that my mind became more and more wired to, okay, everything I say should be preparing for some form of a punchline. I should be setting the question because in school, we're often told, and I'm sorry I'm ranting, but it's just it's so pa I'm passionate about this, is yeah. is that we're told to get the right answers, memorize the right answers, and you'll you'll pass the test, you'll be rewarded. And it was, mm -hmm. and what's often ignored is well, what the fuck was the question supposed to be? We're just told yeah. to get the right answer, but we were never like the question wasn't framed. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that much. <laughs> yes, yes. And, th and that's such a good point. So I would just I would just end it by saying, learn the story. And in school, they want you to memorize the date, memorize the name. That's a boring way to learn anything, and that's why people's eyes glaze over when they talk, when they learn about when they learn about history. Um, it's why people aren't aren't interested in it when they're kids, is because if they taught history like learn, here's the story. We're going to learn the story, and then through like when you become passionate about the story, the names and the dates will become second nature because that's a, a critical part of the story, right? So yes, um, yes it's like like learn the story. And then the the names and the dates like will just become natural to you. So um, final final uh, rant slash boost. Cynthia sixty sixty seven uh, ten dollars would love a show that covers Hammurabi Babel, Babylon King. Uh, fascinating. Yes, uh, I have a I have a running list of topics that that we're going to cover one day because um, I think I think there's infinite amount of topics. One of them is we talked about the Jesuits last week. We're definitely going to do that at some point. Operation Gladio. Um, there's a there's this colonel that Brady's been doing shows with. He's been sending me his shows that he's been doing with her. Mm -hmm. She is she like really knows Operation Gladio, which I think Gladio ties into like Navalny and all the stuff that we've been talking about today. So I think yeah. doing like a doing a Gladio show and maybe trying to get her on. I gotta talk to John first. Well, she actually did a whole series of her shows. I forgot her name on uh, well, just reading uh, through and talking about my wife's Tanner book. Walk Tanner Watkins, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she actually, yeah. my my wife did a whole book on Gladio, and she she's so great. This woman, uh, she actually just did whole chapter readings of my wife's book and just talked about it, giving her thoughts. Um, yeah, that's a really really impressive lady. 
Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Gladio will be another one. Um, Babylon Hammurabi, that'll be another another show topic. We'll definitely do that yeah. at some point. Kazar- I'd like to do one on Kazaria too, just to de- demystify yes. what, what was Kazaria. Um, yeah. I've done a lot of work on that. So I know a lot of people are curious about what the hell is Kazaria. Um, mm-hmm. I, can, I can say quickly, it isn't what people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd love to do a show on that in the future as well. We can do that for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Um, if anything else, uh, anything else to say, I feel, I feel like we've, uh, we've kind of done some good rants here at the end. So if there's anything somebody else, just send me, you... somebody just send me a, a, an image. I'll just share it. It's pretty good. I think that illustrates what, there you uh, go. what yes. we're talking about here. I love it, this. It, it's <laughs> like, that is, oh, wait, 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 we just had another rant come in. Um, that is exactly like how I am. Like it's on my mind is I have so many tabs open. I probably have 50 tabs open right now and I'm scared to close any of them because I'm like working. I'm, I have like four different Substack articles I'm writing right now. Um, yeah. And it's, it, they're all like, I need all this information. And I'm like, if I close one, I'll, I'll lose these great things that I've, I've stumbled onto. And yeah, that's exactly how my mind works so um feel you. swell texas gal 25 dollars. thank you for sharing your wisdom matt i tell everyone who will listen about breaking history i recommend they listen to all the episodes so many truths well thank you swell texas gal thank you for everyone for yeah. your rants thank you for listening um please hit that thumbs up on your way out if you don't mind um share the episode if you um with your friends and family if if you desire and uh, we will see you next week on breaking history till next week <laughs>